Chapter 15 Vasily set a strict pace, pushing the company hard for many hours. The road was flat and well kept, and the sun before them grew dim, peeking upon the horizon and shining through the haze like a ruby made of fire. Then it fell completely, leaving the company to a cold and starless night. Long into the silent hours they rode, following the northern path as it weaved its way through open fields of high grass and the occasional lonely tree. Many statues lined the road, but unlike the ruined masterpieces that stood crumbled between the tower and the lost city of Osgaleon, these splendid works varied widely and were kept in good repair. In fact, it appeared to Astrid as though many of them were new, having none of the normal blemishes attained from a life open to the elements. They're beautiful, she thought, and looked upon them in wonder. Lennox hardly noticed them at all. They had caught his attention at first, statues of great beauty to be sure, of women and children, of strong men mounted upon valiant steeds, of witches and wizards. But he had long grown weary of beautiful things, and they no longer held any sway upon him. A brisk wind began to blow, cutting across the path like a bird. Beside him, Astrid drew her hood, hoping to fight off the worst of it. Most of the company held torches, and with their combined light, the road was well lit, and Lennox found that he could see for some distance before them, despite the dark skies. I wonder if he intends to push through the night, Lennox thought. Vasily had always been difficult to understand, claiming only to be loyal servant of Magnus. His actions seemed to tell a different story, but just as he was going to put the question forward, Astrid spoke up. Don't you think we should check our pace, Vasily? These horses could go a good while longer, but we have many days riding ahead of us. Vasily raised his hand, bringing the company to a brisk walk, then fell to the back of the column to have a word. Of course, my lady, I do apologize. My company and I will be leaving you when we reach Reinhard Pass, but you will have many miles after we depart. Just how far is it to the pass? Lennox asked, lifting his visor so as to be better heard. We can reach it in two days if we're stiff with our breaks. I do regret the inconvenience, but Lord Magnus said I was to be quick, and that any more delay in time would be unfortunate. Astrid perked up. What do you mean, unfortunate? My lady, surely you must know by now. I am not one to question my master. He speaks, and I obey. Sir Galhout did the same. It is the way of obligation. Yes, said Astrid. I am well aware. She turned to Lennox then. Her eyes told him she remembered. The Golden Knight smiled. Well, we certainly understand your position, good sir. We are all creatures of duty. We only wanted to know what we were in for. Vasily looked at Lennox and bowed, pushing his horse back into a trot as he went forward to the head of the column. Lennox watched him for some time, unsure of what to make of the man. Not so bad, if I had to wager, he thought, but there was no way to be certain. He sighed, letting his shoulders fall as he turned to Astrid. He went to speak but stopped himself. Not enough time had passed. I can wait. They kept on through the night, quiet upon the lonesome road with nothing but each other and the statues for company. 
Lennox found himself twisting at the Oathkeeper ring, spinning it around his finger. It had become a heavy burden, yet not all that had transpired since his release had been a loss. He had gained two small treasures, and even found companionship in Astrid, though it felt strained at the moment. No matter. She will come around. I have time, he thought. Soon after, Vasily called the company to a halt and dismounted, intending to give the horses a break before continuing on at sunrise. Astrid took the time to eat. She seemed to be the only one, but was grateful all the same. She cut some fruit and a slice of cheese from a hard block and took a seat next to a large statue of a woman shawled and looking away, her face beautiful, but with searching eyes that looked down the road for something unknown. It was then that she saw Lennox pull out the small crystal ball given to him by Lord Magnus and make his way towards where she sat. He took a seat beside her but said nothing as he examined the sphere. He could see her glancing at him between bites, but resigned himself to silence. He would not be the first to speak. Do you know how to use that? She asked at last, breaking the silence sooner than he thought. Lennox did not respond straight away. Leaning in close, he kept his eyes locked upon the crystal. Hmm, a little. I suppose it depends on what it is you trust I'm capable of. He turned, holding her eyes through the slit of his helm. She gave back stare for stare, determined to have an answer. Lennox understood what it was she was asking. I cannot gaze into one's dreams, my lady. The stone is not powerful enough to enter into another's mind, nor can I see things past or future. Yet it helped me find you when I looked, so I am not altogether without talent. But to use a catalyst like this takes training, and I have grown dull in these years past. He turned, looking out upon the fields that surrounded them. Once upon a time, I was quite proficient, but I have diminished and must make myself strong once more, if I am to finish what has been appointed to me. Astrid raised her eyes to him, and Lennox felt as though she was beginning to understand. This task, she said, her eyes flickering to the crystal sphere. What does it pertain to? Do you truly not know, or do you hide it from yourself? I know what it is you saw. Lord Magnus did not hide it from me. So ask. Ask what? The question. I don't know what you mean. If you will not ask, then neither will I answer. There was a pause, and when she spoke, the words were so faint, they were almost lost to the wind. The man in your dream, with the crown of spikes, with the women in red chained beside him. Who was he? A very good question, said Lennox with a gentle laugh, and his eyes shined with warmth. He had many names to many people, but most knew him as Lord Shem of the Abyss, the knower of names and speaker of truth, protentate of the seven jewel cities. All around them the air grew still, and all noise subsided and the golden armor of Lennox burned warm as the rays of the cresting light reflected upon him, so that he appeared bright as the sun. How can this be, Sir Knight? The four have long been silent, 
but to claim they have perished, said Astrid, filled with awe. <laughs> the four. Not so many now, I think. Tell me, when was the last time they were seen? For in my day, they traveled often, never forgoing an opportunity to look upon all they ruled. Astrid looked at him, but did not answer. As I suspected, I have only just emerged, my lady, yet the world has changed much from the little I have seen. Now only one remains by my count, and with his death, a new age will be born. This is what I seek. This is what I have been tasked with. But there is more. I know now that it was indeed the agents of Lord Azazel who were behind the theft of your family treasure. And so fate it seems is ever turning. I grow curious now of this boy wizard of Solaire and begin to think our servitude to Lady Soon may at least in part work in our favor, for I believe she can assist us in our wants. That is a hopeful view of things, said Astrid. Only one more, so you say, but Lord Azazel sits deep within the sacred city. How do you intend to reach him? I see no hope. I never said it would be easy. Indeed, from the outside it looks futile. An army might help, perhaps. Maybe Lady Soon will be kind enough to deliver one, but the details can be discussed at another time. For now I think it's best we focus on finding Oscar, and then reaching Lady Soon as quickly as we can. Lennox rose, stretching out his hand for Astrid to take. No matter what the future holds, I will feel better once I'm free her power. When the company set out, Vasily took his proper place at the head, leaving Lennox and Astrid to ride where they wished. No one in the company spoke while they rode, except when addressed by Vasily, and even then, they spoke in low voices, their words unheard. Mostly it seemed to Lennox that they were being ignored, but when he really looked, hardly a moment went by when one of the company wasn't glancing in their direction. A delay in time would be unfortunate. That's what Lord Magnus had said. Lennox felt an itch between his shoulders. He inhaled deeply. What had the sorcerer left out? Plenty, I'm sure, he thought. Lennox, said Astrid. So faintly he wasn't sure she had actually spoken. Lennox, what's wrong? Nothing, he said back. You're lying, she said. You said you would not lie to me. He wanted to laugh, but instead turned to Astrid and tugged on his reins, bringing his horse to a stop. Lady Astrid, I do apologize. Nothing is wrong, per se. It is only... I grow tired of our current company. It almost makes me miss that sour warden of ours, wherever he may be. Astrid laughed, then grew serious, turning to him with interest. What of your stone? Have you tried searching for him with it? No, he answered, and reached into his pouch for the crystal. I suppose I should give it a try. He held up the stone then 
peering into it as he spoke words unknown to Astrid. She pushed her horse forward so that she might better look. I don't see... Suddenly, the image of a large cat walking through the forest filled the surface, then quickly changed into the face of a woman. Tall she was, mounted upon a white pony, and traveling with a large company across a road, similar to the one they now traveled, save the statues. Then the sphere went empty. Curious, said Lennox. That's twice now the sphere has shown me that cat. I'm beginning to imagine he's a fellow of interest. Who was the woman on the road? asked Astrid. I couldn't say, though I feel we shall find out. The flat lands gave way to rolling hills that stretched out before them in waves of green. But it wasn't long until the hills grew higher and higher, and the valleys that separated them deeper still, so that much of their time was spent weaving their way through the gorges that ripped the land. After crossing a small bridge that cut across one of the narrower valleys, Lennox noticed that there was no more statues. He looked back across the bridge, glimpsing one last effigy that stood with both hands resting upon the pommel of his sword, gazing out across the valley. Then they turned the corner, and it was lost from sight. Perhaps we're nearing the borderlands, he thought, but said nothing of it to Astrid, and rode on, keeping a sharp gaze on their surroundings. Soon the world darkened and Vasily called a halt, ordering pairs of guards to watch the road, while the others went about lighting torches and seeing to the horses. Astrid slept little, Lennox not at all, and by first light they had mounted once more and were continuing on. It was midday when they drew near Reinhard Pass, a great peak that looked out upon the valley below. The road snaked down into the vale, and there crossed upon a second path running perpendicular to their own. From where they stood high atop the precipice, they could see miles in all directions. It was then they sighted a caravan crossing the road from the east. It was a large group, thirty men mailed and mounted, each carrying a long spear, preceding a line of royal carts. Yet it was that followed the carts that caught Lennox's eye, a string of knights each accompanied by their squire, as though some great procession were taking place. Even from the great distance they could hear the rows of horses beating against the stone road, echoing like a storm throughout the valley. Well, how fortunate we left when we did, said Lennox aloud, keeping his eyes steady on the crowd below. Else we would have had to travel alone and miss out on such fine company. Tell me, do you recognize their banners? A few, answered Astrid. Though there were many standards mixed in with the company, it appeared to her that almost all the lesser lords and fealty to Solaire were represented. She turned to Vasily. Why such a gathering? King Randolph of Solaire has perished, my lady. These men ride to see his son take the mantle, and bend the knee, proclaiming their loyalty, he replied, trotting close. The roads have grown dangerous of late. Riding in company with such a host will be most favorable. They will lead you nearly all the way to the Wizard's Guild, which lies just west of Solaire. Ah, I was wondering what you were playing at all this time, said Lennox. Your caution was needless, though, Vasily. I agree with your plan, 
It will be good to not have to worry of wandering hollows in the dark of night, though the pace will undoubtedly be stalled. Only a little, Sir Knight. Even now you can see their pace is not one of leisure. Why should they accept us? Astrid asked. Lord Magnus does not kneel to Solaire. My lady, long has there been peace between the two kingdoms, and men still strive at chivalry, though not like they once did. They will accept you graciously, if not cautiously, I'm sure. He smiled then, calling one of his men to his side. The house standards have been prepared for you. This will squander any doubt of your loyalties. Wear them well, lest you bring shame upon my master. Astrid turned to reply, but was cut short. Thank you, good sir, said Lennox, bowing gently in his saddle. For all that you have done for us, the graciousness of House Magnus will not be forgotten. Vasily bowed back. I am pleased to hear this. He turned once more to Astrid. My lady, I hope that I have sufficed in the absence of Sir Galehout. I am aware I can seem rather dreary. Knowing this, it was not my intent. Astrid was not overly fond of Vasily, but could not deny that he had treated her well. You are very kind, she said. If I am ever to see Sir Galehout, I will tell him such myself. Vasily smiled and turned, gesturing to the road before them. So now it comes to it. I have seen you to the finish, as I promised I would. But do not fret, for in my heart I feel as though this is not truly the end. May your travels see you safely, Sir Lennox, my lady, and know that Lord Magnus is watching. Hmm... One can hardly forget, Lennox replied, and with those words he turned his horse and began making his way down the twisting pathway. Astrid kept pace. She was carrying the banner of House Magnus, though it hardly seemed to hinder her. It may have been strange for a woman to carry the banner in the southern realms, but in the north it was common practice for all shield maidens. As they rode, Lennox noticed the first signs of decay in the road marking their departure from the lands of Lord Magnus. His hand went to his side, reaching for the pommel of his sword that was not there. He reached up then, grabbing at one of the twin blades on his back. He felt the hilt in his hand then released. This will take some getting used to, he thought, and for a moment considered perhaps sparring with one of the knights in the company below. It was always preferable to test one's blade, lest it fail you when it was needed most. As they drew near the bottom of the valley, the clamor of the party before them was all too prevalent, and while the men in front seemed well in line, the knights that traveled behind rode in welcome merriment, speaking of the great tourney that was sure to follow the new king's inauguration. Still, Lennox and Astrid's arrival did not go unnoticed. Indeed, it appeared as though the entire procession came to a halt, as it became evident that Astrid and the Knight of Gold, bearing the sigil of Lord Magnus, were riding out to join them. A few of the more curious knights pushed out from the line to greet them, but were cut off from a company of the main guard. They followed at a distance then. If they could not greet the liaison of Lord Magnus themselves, then they would at least watch and listen, 
perhaps gaining some insight otherwise lost. Lennox and Astrid pressed on, covering half a mile before the outriders rode forth. Ten men, led by a grizzled greybeard of a knight, all of them sporting the sigil of House Solaire, a blazing sun set against a field of blue. As they drew near, the company halted, and the aged knight rode forth alone. Sir Knight, he called, taking a moment's pause upon recognizing that Astrid was a woman. He nodded gently towards her. My lady, forgive my manners. I am Sir Sig of Solaire, as it please you. All is forgiven, she answered him. Might I inquire as to the nature of your company? The old knight pressed. He had turned to Lennox, but it was once again Astrid who answered, much to the amusement of the Golden Knight. News of the king's passing has reached our master's ears. He bid us travel to Solaire to show his respect. The old man turned to the girl. Since when do knights of Magnus hold women as their squires? Only in the north are such things seen. Then you have judged rightly, for the north is in my blood, she answered. Lennox pushed his horse forward, seeing the discomfort of the knight who felt as though he were being made a fool. Please, forgive my squire. She can be rather outspoken, having spent much of her youth in the northern kingdoms. Aye, the knight replied, shifting his attention back upon Lennox. The north. He smiled then warily though it was. Well, it certainly shows. That it does, Lennox grinned, his face seen through his open visor. Though I must add our business is twofold, good sir, for we have business with the wizard guild as well. We are hoping we might accompany you upon the road for the remainder of our journey, lest we fall to hollows or other foul creatures. Hardly any hollows make it this far from the mountain, Sir Sig answered, looking once more towards Astrid. Very well. You may join the others in the rear. It shall be an honor to have emissaries of Lord Magnus join us in company. See to it that your squire learns her place. Of course. Sir Sig turned then, raising his mailed hand to the sky. His men rode forth, forming a column behind him, before returning with their captain to the head of the convoy. Hmm, not a very cheery fellow, Lennox said in an amused tone. So I'm to be your squire, Astrid answered, unable to hide her displeasure. <laughs> My lady, I'm a knight of Lord Magnus. How would I be perceived if I were to be without a squire? Poorly, I'm sure. He kicked his horse forward, making his way towards some of the knights who had stayed behind. He turned, looking back towards the girl. We need only keep up this charade until we are free of this company. I will do no such thing. Oh, that's fine with me. But let us hope we don't draw any more attention than will already come our way. As long as we keep to ourselves, we shall be left alone. Oh? Lennox did not sound convinced. We shall certainly find out. Yes, most certainly indeed. Chapter 16 
He could see the fire in the night, glimmering against the still waters of a minor billabong set beside the river. At times it shimmered brightly like a fallen star, though as night passed it dwindled down to no more than the red-orange glow of fading embers. Shiva spent that night in the cold, watching from a distance. He had spent more than a week forging on through the icy forest, always pushing south until at last breaking free of the frozen woods. It would be no trouble to spend one more night alone. The family had built their fire in a shallow depression near the water's edge, and had arranged their carts in a semicircle around them to shelter them from wolves and other lesser creatures. He knew better than to approach an unknown camp at night. He would be patient. In the early hours of the morn, well before the sun had risen, life began to stir. Several men began bustling about, breaking down tents and seeing to the horses. One woman went to work on the fire, while a group of children played at her side. The sun's light revealed several bright markings along the sides of the wagons. Colorful suns of swirling yellow, and silver crescent moons painted with flaking dust. Shiva could only conclude they were a trope of some kind. He had stepped out from the trees onto the road, and was still a good way from the camp when one of the men gave a shout. Not long after, several of the men were walking towards him, each of them carrying a sword, though they wore no armor, and had yet drawn their blades. A husky man with a blonde beard and a pair of silver earrings walked before the others, never taking his hand off the pommel of his blade. Hmm, he began as they drew near. Who might you be, stranger? We're a long way from any inn, and here you stand, without horse or provisions. There were three of them, travel-stained and mud-specked, the leader was handsome enough, the others less so. They trailed only slightly behind, but looked on with wary eyes. Please, sirs, I mean you no distress. I am Shiva of Cateron, first warden and servant of Lady Soon. I have suffered many misfortunes on my way to Solaire, and offer you my services, in the hopes that I may resume my travels. A warden offering us his services... One said, speaking up, a short, gruff fellow with green eyes and a sharp nose. His faded blue jerkin was mended here and there, but was still of good quality, and he wore a brace of throwing knives at his hip, which his hand hovered over nervously. And what might these services be? Shiva answered him. Protection from hollows and others of their kind. A horde fell upon me and my companions separating us. If you're heading north, I offer my sword. If south, I offer coin, in the hopes of purchasing a horse that I might be on my way. Horses aren't for sale. Provisions neither. Come now, Otto. No need to be uncouth. The bearded man turned to his friend, gesturing something unseen before once again addressing Shiva. Good sir, he speaks truly. We are not merchants, and we would not part with our horses if you were to offer a sack of gold two sacks even. But we are traveling north, and quickly too. If we're to make it in time for the king's festival, we're already behind schedule. And if the roads are as dangerous as you say, then perhaps you can earn your place. The bearded man stood a foot taller than his companions, bearing the look of a soldier. A long sword hung from his studded leather belt, decorated with rubies and emeralds at the hilt. It was not the blade Shiva would have expected to see wielded by one of such company. He nodded in consent. Thank you. You will not regret this. 
Lovely, the man smiled. But before we go any further, I must insist upon one thing. Speak it, Shiva said at once. While you need not turn over your weapons to us, we ask that you not carry them while in our company. You may sit with them beside you on the carts, or strap them to one of the horses. But while in our camp, you are in our home. Will you abide by such terms? After a moment, Shiva nodded. I acknowledge your wishes, and will see through their fulfillment. Brilliant. Otto stood scowling, his hands still hovering by his knives. Hold it, he said, then pointed to the bag hanging across Shiva's back. What you got there in that satchel? Otto, really? I can't see why that should matter. I want to know. He already said he would set aside his weapons. We need not pester him further. He looks honest enough, if not a little grim, I confess. Otto stood resolute. I want to know, he repeated. The handsome man turned once more to Shiva. I do apologize, but if you wouldn't mind showing us the contents of your bag, we can get moving. Shiva hesitated a moment, unsure how they would react to the severed head of a gargoyle. In the end, he unslung his bag and let it fall to the floor, hitting the ground with a heavy thud. He reached in and pulled out the head for all to see. Even though it had been several weeks since the kill, the flesh looked fresh, and the eyes were red with blood. The three men stepped away, but otherwise kept their composure, and, in fact, a certain gleam appeared in the handsome man's eyes as he looked upon the monster's head. Well now, he began, I think this will make for a great story. Shiva had not been wrong. They were indeed a trope of sorts. Music and acting, juggling and games. They did it all, though it seemed they had a special affinity for singing, and hardly a moment had passed before they were on the road, and the first chords were being strummed, and a soft, melodious voice from one of the women drifted into the air. It was beautifully sang, had Shiva cared enough to listen, but even he managed a swift glance towards the young woman. She caught his glance and smiled back, amused by his cold eyes. He found himself riding in the rear cart beside a skinny youth of fourteen named Joss. Red-haired and freckled, the boy wore simple garb with high boots and fingerless gloves. True to his word, Shiva had removed his weapons, along with his gargoyle head, placing them between him and the youth, who regarded them with cautious curiosity. Would you like to see it? Shiva asked after seeing the boy's eyes flicker towards the bag for the tenth time. Is it... is it truly a gargoyle's head you got in that satchel? Shiva nodded. It is. The youth looked to the bag, then to Shiva. He held the reins steady in his hands, then nodded. The roads have grown unruly, everyone says so. I've seen my fair share of hollows and such, but we've never come across a gargoyle. There are few who have, Shiva answered. Then, pulling the severed head out of the satchel, he held it up for the boy to see. Are there many of them out here in the forest? Aladdin told us you fell into some trouble on the way north. Seeing that foul thing, I can hardly guess how you escaped at all. The boy glanced towards the frozen woods, not far from the path. They had reached a turning point, and the road was beginning to bend northward. Not many, Shiva answered, returning the head to its proper place 
and none in the forests. They prefer mountains and stone. Well, either way, we're glad to have you. We have a few fighters among us. Otto and Aladdin are more than enough to strike down a stray hollow. They were soldiers once, part of the Iron Knights in their youth. But I don't think they would stand a chance against such a beast. They donned the Black Shield? Shiva asked. Gazing forward in the bend, he saw Aladdin leading the party upon a stout mare of white. His posture and manners did in fact mirror a soldier's. The youth shifted in his seat, then nodded. Hi. Aladdin still has his armor sitting near in the back of his wagon. He keeps it polished and clean. But I've never seen him wear it in all our travels. He won't talk about it, neither. But Otto will, when he's drunk. Which is more often than not. Especially if someone else is paying. Shiva watched the boy. He found the youth strangely pleasant to converse with, which was an oddity. He was not one to have a loose tongue. At last the road finished its bend and straightened before them long into the distance. To the left stood the woods, frozen and cold and white. To the right lay endless fields of rolling hills, green as spring, the domain of House Magnus. A cold mist fell on them then, not quite a rain, but enough to stop the music and chatter. Shiva pulled his cloak close, covering his head from the worst of the wind. He considered pulling out his shadow cloak, but tossed aside the thought immediately. To use such a treasure frivolously was unwise, especially in the company of a trope, where one's possessions were liable to end up missing if left unattended. Even with the weather turning foul, they made good time. The roads of Lord Magnus were good and true, a path where even the most uncoordinated horse were sure to find their footing. Soon enough the cold mist departed, and the sun was shining once more. Without halting the company, Aladdin began dropping back to each of the carts, informing them that if the weather remained clear, they would push through the night. He would not risk missing the best days of the festival, just so the company could get a good night's sleep. Shiva watched Aladdin return to the front of the column, then turned to the boy. This festival is sure to be quite the event, from what's been spoken. Tell me, what is the occasion? Is it a tourney of sorts? The boy hesitated, turning to Shiva with a surprised countenance. Odd that you don't know. I thought all the land had heard by now of King Orsted's death. King Orsted? Shiva repeated. The boy nodded. Sure. It's been several weeks now since the news. We ride now for his son's inauguration. There'll be a festival after it for many days. He tightened his grip on the reins and looked off down the road. This entire trip will be for naught if we arrive only to find the whole affairs done and past. This won't be the first sleepless night we've had, but we'll make do. The trope kept on, and soon the sun had set and a clear sky shone above. They lit lanterns, hanging them from the carts in pairs. At some point the singing stopped, and the soft whispering strings of a harp echoed into the dim night. No one sang. It was not a song for words, but for journeys. It was a song that spoke of partings and farewells, of departures into far and distant lands. When the song finished, a new one began, then another, 
Many songs were played in that manner, until a cold dew blew in from the forest, and the harp fell silent, leaving only the clapping of the horse's hooves upon stone. Still, their lanterns were bright, and the path remained true before them. Aladdin kept a steady pace despite the weather, never letting the company fall into anything less than a brisk walk. There were stretches where the path led them close to the woods, but they were few and far between, and it wasn't long before the tree line receded once more. Shiva eyed the woods calmly. He did not trust them. He knew how treacherous they could be. They had just passed over a small stone bridge when a thin howl rose from the woods. Aladdin called the company to a halt and perched upon his mare. The cry came again, distant and thin, from the depths of the forest, yet closer than it had been only moments before. He turned and began riding down the line, when, to his surprise, he saw Shiva jump clear from his cart onto the path before him. The warden stood with bow in hand, staring out into the darkness. Aladdin dismounted. A wolf? he asked, stepping up beside the warden. Shiva nodded. Sounds a long way off. No, it's difficult to judge distance in these woods. It's close. From their carts, the men and women sat peering out into the gray. A few of them were eyeing the pair, clearly concerned having overheard the warden's words. Aladdin stepped in close to Shiva and spoke in a hushed tone. We only heard the one, but if there's one, there's more to follow. We should ride. They'll not catch us if we continue on. We couldn't ride fast enough, Shiva answered. Not in the dark. This is a good road, but it bends more than you think. They would catch us, if indeed it is a pack, and us their prey. Otto rode up then. He had been near the front alongside Aladdin, and looked down at the pair with furrowed eyes. Why aren't we moving? he muttered, and glanced back towards the carts. Aladdin stepped close to his companion. Be calm, we're just discussing the matter. Light torches, as many as you can, Shiva said, pointing to the trope. Set them in circles around the carts. We must see them coming to have a chance. Otto dismounted. There's only been one bloody creature. We should get moving now and not waste any more time. A second cry echoed out. This time, others answered it. Eerie wails, many of them. Further but nearer all the same. The torches, Shiva said, his tone unbending. Do it now. This time there was no argument. Aloded and Otto departed, walking to the carts and informing them to set about torches immediately. Shiva remained, standing just off the path. They were near fifty yards of clear terrain before the tree line, which sat shrouded in mist. He fell to one knee, peering into the fog. When Aladdin returned, he was holding a crossbow, fully cranked with bolt in place. He stood beside the warden, shadowed by his hood, the mist catching upon his oiled cloak and running down in narrow beads. A moment later Otto joined them, as well as two other men Shiva had seen working in the camp, all of them holding bows. It was then that the clouds shifted, letting the moon cast its light upon the woods. 
they found themselves looking out into a line of wolves, coats as white as the snow, hidden amongst the tree line. So many, Otto muttered to himself. They're not moving, another whispered. Why aren't they moving? Aloden leaned in close to Shiva. Well, Warden, time to earn your place. He sounded strangely calm, despite what lay before them. A soldier's training, perhaps. To the carts, he said quietly. They will not cross the fire. Otto hesitated, but Shiva quickly grabbed the man's arm and began pulling him back. Now is not the time to falter. All hope is lost when one loses his wits. Otto relented and began moving towards the wagons with the others. Each of you take a cart, and do not leave it even if another should fall. Another cry went out from the woods, different from what they heard so far. A lone voice, deeper and more formidable. Shiva stopped. His eyes searched through the mist. It was then that he saw him, the Alpha Wolf, a dark shape with eyes like yellow gold, stepping out from the snow-capped trees. The beast paused, only for an instant, before continuing on out from the shelter of the woods. Aladdin and the others were still close, watching in wonder at the boldness of the beast. Isn't that a sight? Otto muttered. The brute is without fear. He was notching an arrow, but he had yet to draw it back. Stay your hand, Shiva called. His eyes set on the wolf. He inhaled deeply, then stepped forward to meet the creature. He could hear Otto speaking softly behind him. What's he doing? He's cracked. The others nodded, all but Aladdin, who watched the Orden stride forward with glee. No, thought Shiva, not cracked. But how could they understand? The beast before him was tall and strong, calling to him for combat, stepping forward to show his dominance to his pack. Yet no fight would take place, he knew. Not tonight. Shiva reached out his hand, running it across the face of the beast. We meet again, my friend. Merrick let the warden stroke his fur, looking at his palm as he did. I did not expect to see you again, but fate has set us together once more. He seemed pleased as he knelt beside the wolf. Tell me, where is Zev? The gray wolf turned, casting his gaze into the woods, and then back towards the warden. Shiva looked towards the forest, but saw no sign of her. Hmm, we shall see. Pulling away from Shiva, the great wolf turned towards the pack, letting out a long, harrowing cry. The pack howled back crying out an answer before turning and disappearing into the woods one after another, until the forest was empty and white, and all was still except for the swaying trees. With the wolves gone, a sort of calm fell upon the land, still and tranquil and soft. The forest was lovely to behold, but Shiva had little care for such things, and Merrick none at all. The beast turned to the carts in a confused sort of way. Shiva followed his gaze. Ah! Try not to spook the horses. Merrick looked to the warden. He seemed to understand. And together they made their way back to the trope. Aladdin was waiting for them as they neared. Him alone. The others stood with bows in hand, though they had the sense enough not to point them towards the pair. 
Aoden eyed the wolf with care, then turned to Shiva. A friend of yours? The warden nodded. He belongs to one of my companions. I mean to see them reunited. The horses may not like his smell, but he will not bother them. You have my word. Aladdin turned to the beast, his hand resting on his jeweled blade. Shiva wondered if it was all for show, a grand performance, though the man did carry himself well. Finally, he answered with a single approving nod, then made his way towards the front of the trope, where Otto stood holding his mare. Shiva watched the man go, then turned to Merrick. Best you stay a ways back, only until they see you are no trouble. And with that he returned to his cart, hoisting himself back up beside the youth, just as the wagon pitched forward. The mist came and went, but by morning there was more blue in the sky than gray, and the streams that ran from the woods were running low. They kept a good pace that day, and come nightfall, most of the trope had come to accept Merrick, referring to him as the warden's pet. A few of them even approved of the beast, supposing him to be a guard dog of sorts, saying they might rest a bit easier at night. Though it was evident not all of them felt that way. He caught Otto giving Merrick an angry glance more than once, and the horses were never quite at ease. Aladdin says we're less than a week out from Solaire, the youth declared, one morning after the company had halted for a rest. Says it's a good road all throughout Lord Magnus's kingdom, and even after too, in Solaire. Says it's smooth and well-guarded. It will be nice to see some patrols upon the roads once more, just like home. A ruler should know what's happening in his kingdom. All I see here are empty open fields, no outposts of any kind, not even a run-down inn. Shiva glanced at the youth and smiled, a cold smile. Lord Magnus does not need patrols to know what is taking place in his kingdom. He sees more than you could ever know. The youth nodded. Aye, we've all heard the tales. That doesn't mean they're true. Solera has the Wizard's Guild to help watch, and they still have plenty of knights to help keep the peace, or so I'm told. I've never been there myself, see? But plenty in this troop has. They say it's a fine city, Solaire. Not as fine as Bedivere, but fine just the same. He turned then, looking to the warden. Do you get many tropes out in Catron? Shiva shook his head. It is harsh land that surrounds Catron, and the city is always moving from one oasis to another. Traders make the journey. To them it is worth the risk, but no. Few tropes decide to make the voyage. If your city moves as much as you say, how then do you find it when you need to? The warden looked at the youth for a long time, then said, There are ways for those who know where to look. He spoke no more of it, and they continued on along the path. Shiva spent a good part of the day looking out across the endless fields of Lord Magnus's kingdom. Once he had believed as the youth believed, but no longer. Lady Soon had discovered the truth. He doubted if there were a safer kingdom in all the land. He inhaled deeply and looked out along the trope. The roads would have fallen long ago if not for the ceaseless protection of Lord Magnus. Merrick was trotting beside them when the warden's thoughts turned towards the others. 
He was confident they would reunite. Fate had led the wolf to him. It would lead the others. They were in a rare state of quiet, when one of the tropers had stopped playing, and no one had yet taken up the call. When the youth turned to Shiva in wonder, What are those? Out across the endless fields of rolling green stood four towers, built from stone, with a disk as large as a house set between them. Shiva paused, squinting towards the distant structures. A star tower, he said. He spoke the words softly, but the boy still managed to hear them. It was used long ago to observe the heavens at night. They say the four themselves constructed it, long ago before the taint fell. The four built this to observe the heavens? The youth said. What for? What were they hoping to see? I cannot say. Perhaps they simply wanted a glimpse of home. The large disc you see hanging in the center is glass, though it's long been cracked and abandoned. If they were looking up to the heavens, then they must have been something they were looking for, replied Joss. He raised his hand to his brow for shade and stared towards the towers. A thing like that doesn't get built just to look up at the stars. Perhaps, Shiva replied, but we will never truly know. And there are stranger things in this world than those towers. Back home, some were lost within the desert. Carved deep into the mountain is a face thirty feet tall with a crystal eye bigger than this cart that's supposed to show you your death if you're brave enough to gaze into the stone. Who would want to know that? The youth said, quite shaken at the idea. But before Shiva could answer, the trope came to a halt. The warden rose and looked out further down the road. Hmm. What do you see? The youth asked. He was leaning to his side for a better view, but failed to see anything past the cart before them. Ruins, was all he said. He stepped from the cart and began walking the road, leaving the boy behind. At once Merrick was at his side. There were eight carts in total, a rather large number for a trope, and together, they passed them by one after another, paying little heed to the stray looks they received. Aladdin was sitting atop his mare, his eyes set upon a pair of mans standing in the center of the road, beside a broken wall and the ruins of a small tower. A small outpost, Shiva thought, long abandoned like so many other structures in Lord Magnus's kingdom. He unslung his bow and held it lightly in his hands checking the tension of the string unconsciously as he looked out at the pair. Aladdin cracked his head to one side and eyed him questioningly. Are you expecting trouble? The warden looked to Aladdin and then back to the men standing idle before them, waiting, watching. They were knights, the pair of them. Their horses were tied to the wall, and a long jousting spear stood leaning against the broken tower, but the men stood defiant watching the trope from the distance. Well, one cannot say for sure, said Shiva, but it would be foolish to take them lightly, whatever their wants may be. They are dangerous men, I can feel it, and so can Merrick. He looked to Aladdin, curious to see how he would react. They bear the crest of House Magnus, Shiva nodded. They do, 
but you speak as though that makes them less dangerous. That would be unwise. Alden looked down at Shiva and then to Merrick. He seemed to understand and quickly dismounted, handing his horse off to Otto. Wait here. Otto took the reins quietly, for once the sour man had nothing to say. In fact, he seemed to agree with Shiva, eyeing the two men warily. It was queer behavior, standing there in the center of the road, not moving or calling out. The trope was always on watch for more than just stray ghouls. Bandits and thieves were known to reside in the forest, and the idea of willingly stepping into a trap was never something to overlook. I can go alone, Shiva offered, but Aladdin would not have it. This is my trope, my people. I will go, but you're free to join me. The wolf, too. Shiva laughed. With a quick nod, he began making his way towards the knights. They were tall men, both of them, donning well-crafted armor. The silver knight wore a full suit of plate from head to toe, and an early arm at helm with hinged cheek plates instead of a visor. The other knight, an elderly gentleman with grain hair and a strong face but weathered, wore a blue and silver undercoat with a single chest plate and no helm. The senior knight hailed them as they neared. Fear not, friends. We are servants of Lord Magnus, whose kingdom we now preside in, and whose road you now traverse. We mean you no harm. His voice was calm and friendly. Good sirs, we are simple travelers, and only wish to pass through these lands unhindered, answered Aladdin. So you are, the elder knight acknowledged and we mean to let you. But we have instructions, and one cannot cast those aside. Shiva stepped forward. What might those be? he asked. The elderly knight looked upon him now as though seeing him for the first time. He looked at the wolf next to him and smiled. We are waiting for someone. A pair, actually. A warden of Cateron and his beast. He paused, watching Shiva with probing eyes. Yet the warden revealed nothing. The knight continued, We are waiting for you. Chapter 17 At noon, several of the hedge knights lingering along the rear of the convoy had taken to assembling not far from the road for a bit of sport masqueraded as training. Not many. Fifteen or so men, along with their squires, spread out in a circle across the field, while some traders and common folk watched from a distance. The whole affair made for a rather cheerful spectacle, and the wistfulness of it all put a smile on Lennox's face, bringing him back to his own youth spent in the family courtyard, training at swords with his brothers. The shining armor the cheers of camaraderie. He shook his head. So long ago. Several of the squires took their turn. Draped in boiled leather and heavy mail, they struck at each other with dulled blades. Their knights stood watch, shouting out commands or corrections. A few of the squires showed promise, Lennox thought, as he listened to the ring of swords as they clashed against one another. But the show came to a halt when one of the knights stepped in to show his squire how best to deliver a side stroke. You need get lower, he began, 
else you're likely to lose balance if you're parried. Here, let me show you. The knight turned, gazing out among the crowd for a partner. Many of the other knights had been at it for some time now, and stood watching idly, when at last the hedge knight's gaze fell upon Lennox. You, he said, pointing to the golden knight. Good sir, won't you join me in teaching these lads a lesson? Something told Lennox it was no accident the knight had chosen him. He and Astrid had been watching closely these last few days. The entire convoy had been curious about the emissaries of Lord Magnus that had joined them on their journey. But the Golden Knight and his squire kept mostly to themselves, and Lennox had declined a few offers at sparring he had received, not wanting to draw attention to themselves. Yet the crowd had dwindled, so the Golden Knight simply nodded his consent and stepped out into the circle. He turned, catching a disapproving glance from Astrid, before drawing one of his twin blades from his back, leaving the other properly in its place. A quiet murmur went around the field. More than one of the knights had wanted to test themselves against Lennox. It was rare for a knight of House Magnus to be seen fighting in such events, or at all in truth. The young knight watched Lennox approach with a smile. My helm, he said, and waited while his squire went to retrieve it, turning his eyes upon his opponent. I am told you call yourself Lennox, the knight began. I am Sir Gareth of Solaire. Lennox nodded, but kept silent. Sir Gareth's squire returned with the knight's helm, and a moment later he was fully dressed and ready to begin. Now watch closely, he told his squire, then went forward to meet Lennox. I was hoping we might put forth our full effort. You need not fight handicapped. In fact, I insist you don't. Lennox understood. He reached up to draw his second blade. In truth, he was more comfortable fighting with just the one, but sometimes it was best to immerse oneself in the unknown. Sir Gareth smiled cheerfully and dropped his visor, sliding out his sword in one smooth motion. In his left hand he bore a small wooden shield, with the emblem of Solaire painted upon it with bright colors. Well, shall we begin? But Lennox was already moving and the young knight was hard-pressed to raise his shield in time. Lennox drove him back, swinging his twin blades in quick succession, attacking with every blow. It was new to Lennox, though no one watching would have guessed. The curves of the blades made them good for fluid strokes, meant to move from one strike to the next, and Lennox's golden armor hardly seemed to hinder him. All the field had grown quiet except for the repeated thud of Lennox's blades upon the young knight's shield. It seemed all Gareth could do was block until at last he saw an opening and sent a strike out toward Lennox's head, but the Golden Knight quickly stepped away, letting the blade pass inches from his face before slamming his foot into Sir Gareth's chest. The young knight fell to the earth with a crash, and a moment later, Lennox was standing above him, leveling a blade at the knight's throat. I yield, he shouted. Looking down through the slit of his helm, Lennox nodded. He returned his blades to their proper place, and offered the fallen knight his hand, helping him to his feet. The whole affair lasted less than a minute, but all the field stood murmuring over what they had just witnessed. Some knights spoke of how they might have countered the Golden Knight's technique, while others only seemed to laugh at the shortcomings of Sir Gareth. That was quick, a young girl, standing not far from Astrid, said to her companion. Though the girl spoke softly, Astrid could hear her quite clearly, and listen to their exchange with a sort of passive interest. 
I thought he did fine, the man replied. Though not dressed in armor, he looked like one who could handle himself in a fight. He wore the gold and yellow colors of Solaire, with a simple brigadine coat and a sturdy broadsword strapped to his side. The man continued. He was hopelessly outmatched, to be sure, but he handled himself well enough. Many would have fallen sooner. And how would you have fared? The girl asked. The man did not answer straight away, but stood considering the question carefully. Difficult to know for sure, he said at last, though it seemed he did not like admitting it. He's fast. A lot faster than you would think considering his armor. But I could outpace him, I warrant. Keep my distance and dance around him. Wait till he tires, then press in. Though I doubt he'd let it be that easy. The man stood shaking his head. He's not a man I would want to face on a battlefield. Well now, your honesty is admirable, if not somewhat misplaced. Why would I retain you, if you admit that you are inadequate to keep me from harm? The man grinned and shrugged. I don't work for you, my lady. I work for your family. And the only reason I do is because the court guards prove themselves inept for the task. This brought a mischievous smile to the girl's face. She laughed. Yes, so they did. Through all of this, the pair kept their gaze upon Lennox, never turning to one another. Tell me, do all knights of House Magnus fight in such style? The man shook his head. Not at all, or at least none that I have witnessed, which is few enough to be sure. House Magnus is not known for their knights, it is magic they excel at. Any sorcerer of House Magnus can match even the strongest wizard from the guild. They are the strength of Lord Magnus's kingdom. The girl looked annoyed, but kept quiet. They patrol the lands in pairs, but often a knight may be seen as well, dressed in silver and carrying long lances, fashioned similarly to the ones you might see in a tourney. Oh, how strange... It seems we've come across an anomaly in our golden emissary. The man nodded. And his squire as well. Sir Sieg reported she is of the north. Astra drew her cloak close and stepped near the pair, having grown interested in their discussion. But just as he drew close, the girl turned and departed, taking her tall companion with her. Astra heard her ask something about her sister, but the man's answer was too muffled for her to make out and then the pair disappeared, drifting along with the dispersing crowd. When she turned back, the field was all but empty. The convoy would be moving again soon, and the knights and their squires, and anybody who had been watching, were making their way back to their horses for travel. Sir Gareth passed by as well, bearing the look of defeat, yet walking defiant, resolute to better himself as any knight who has taken a setback should. There was still heat in his eyes, it was a look Astrid approved of. You certainly gave them something to talk about, she said as Lennox approached. The Golden Knight did not answer her right away, and instead lifted his visor and stood watching Sir Gareth for a time. At last he turned and said, You're right, but they have been whispering about us for days. At least now they have something of sustenance to speak of. And in the meantime, I got to test my blades. It would not do to fight for true 
with unproven steel. Not when it can be avoided, that is. Either way, Astra did not like the attention and made it known to Lennox. The youth has talent, he continued, as they began making their way back to their horses. In time, he will be ferocious, if he trains. One should never let themselves become stagnant. You were mired for ages, as I recall. It doesn't seem to have hindered you much. Lennox paused. Something in her words had struck him acutely. He lifted his hand, gazing down at them in thought. It costs me more than you shall ever know, he finally said, and then fell silent, not speaking for some time afterward. At last they reached their horses and mounted, spurring them forward to join the column of knights as they continued in their journey. It was later that night when the summons came. The convoy had stopped for the evening, and many had already pitched their pavilions, the ones that had them, that is. Many of the hedge knights had taken to sleeping under the stars, and that is where Lennox and Astrid were when the guards approached, resting quietly against a small sloping hill that ran alongside the road. Lennox could see the patrol walking towards them from a way off, carrying torches that set them apart and casting light upon a familiar face. Hmm, it appears our friend Sir Sieg has come to visit, Lennox said as he watched them approach. He stood, lifting his visor for a better look. As before, the company halted some distance off, and the aged knight strode forth alone. Greetings, he called out to the pair. Greetings, Sir Sieg, Lennox replied casually as Astrid stepped beside him. He continued, to what do we owe this honor? Princess Lucien requests your presence, Sir Sieg answered curtly, and expresses her regret for not reaching out sooner to the emissaries of Lord Magnus. She wishes to see us now, said Astrid, irritated. Sir Sieg could be heard grumbling something to himself before answering. She does, he said with a nod. She also offers lodging for you and your horses, if you so desire it. Oh, well, we'd be delighted. Would you mind giving us a minute to make ourselves more presentable? Asked Lennox. We'll be quick. Sir Sieg looked over his shoulder towards his men, and then back to Lennox before answering. Very well, he said. We were told not to delay but you shall have the time you need. I thank you indeed, Sir Sieg, said Lennox with a bow. Your kindness has not gone unnoticed. Lennox's words must have come as a surprise to the aged knight, for he looked back upon him with a puzzled regard. Finally, he straightened and nodded back. When you're ready, meet us upon the road, and we will escort you to our camp. Then he left leaving the pair alone once more. It would be better for us not to draw attention, Astrid said at once. Those were your words, if I remember. It was foolish of you to accept such a request. It would be foolish not to, Lennox replied, but Astrid was not convinced. If we were to deny her request, do you imagine she will just forget about us? Reluctantly, Astrid shook her head no, 
he went on. I had hoped we would go unheeded, but now it seems that shall not be so. We will go and meet the princess, be as dull as we can muster, and be on our way. For all we know, she is simply doing her duty. For some reason, Astrid smiled then, and her eyes grew soft with amusement. She looks lovely when she smiles, Lennox thought. He considered telling her so, but instead turned and made his way towards Alcivar. The horse wished his tail as his master approached, lifting his head up to better see. Now come, you should change from your riding chaps if you're going to stand before the princess. For a brief moment, Astrid almost commented on Lennox's own apparel, but when she saw the knight twisting at the serpent ring on his finger, she fell silent. Very well, she began. Perhaps then I won't be treated as your squire. Perhaps, Lennox said with a laugh, and went about untying their horses. The camps on either side of the road became denser as they progressed, changing from the sparse knights to the more elevated traders, who aligned their carts in rows one after another. Some were already sleeping, but most were still about, tending to their horses, or sitting leisurely about. They watched as the company passed, but said nothing, and returned to their own errands after they had gone. At last the company turned from the path. A small trail lay almost unseen just to the right, and this they followed as it curved away, back up a narrow trail set between two rocky hills. They passed under several pairs of guards, who had climbed higher among the rocks, and now stood watch with bows in hand. The sentinels looked upon them with searching eyes, but made no move to stop them. Suddenly, they came out of the shadowed pass, and before them lay a wide field full of grass and flowers, silver under the moon, with a lesser stream that trickled before them, and resting in the center was a large marquee set upon three large poles. Many men and women were seated there, watching as a young man stood before the court, reading out from a scroll. The company halted, and waited until the man was finished before entering. Three chairs were set apart from the others near the center, and resting upon them sat three women, each more lovely than the last. They watched as Lennox and Astrid entered. To the left was the youngest, though not much younger than Astrid. She looked upon them with a mischievous grin that seemed both guilty and innocent. Astrid nearly gasped when she realized it was the girl from before, the one who had been watching Lennox spar in the field earlier that day. She almost did not recognize her, so much was her transformation. Beside her sat her sisters, both tall and beautiful, draped in the colors of their house. It was plain to see who the eldest was, for her chair was centered and slightly larger than her sister's. She looked upon her guests with her hands folded before her and greeted them warmly. Welcome, friends. Long has our journey been. I have had much to oversee, else I would have called upon you sooner. Lennox had taken off his helm and had it tucked under his arm. He bowed and said, Do not trouble yourself with us, my lady. We are at your disposal while we ride within your company. He lifted his gaze just in time to see her eyebrows rise, a pleased expression spreading across her lips. She seemed a strong woman to Lennox, kind and dutiful, 
and though the weight of her position did not elude her, she bore it well. She went to speak when two ravens descended, swooping into the marquee from outside and circling the room for a moment before landing. One of them found their home on the shoulder of Astrid. Dark and sleek was the bird as it looked out across the court in silence. His twin landed just beside Lennox and hopped forward, stopping at the princess. Quack! The bird screeched. Quack! Quark! The ravens reminded Astrid of the two that had accompanied Lady Gwyn, whom she encountered while traveling east toward Lohalian. But whether they were indeed the very birds, she could not say. She had been surprised at first when the bird landed upon her shoulder, but she had remained quiet, letting it linger where it will. While most of the court cried out in surprise at the arrival of the twin ravens, Lennox kept his eyes upon the princess. The youngest found the whole thing more than amusing, laughing with delight every time the raven quarked. But her sisters did not mirror her brashness. They knew the ravens were servants of House Magnus. Princess Lucian kept her poise and looked long upon the raven before turning once more to Lennox as though it were all of no consequence. It was Lennox who spoke next. We offer our condolences on the passing of your father, my lady. Yes, thank you. He was a good king. My brother will make a fine ruler as well. He has been groomed for the position since infancy. She took a moment then, looking once more upon the ravens. Long has it been since an emissary of Lord Magnus came to our city. You shall have a place of honor at their inauguration. You show us great honor, princess, he began. Yet I cannot say for certain we shall make it in time. Our first order is to seek convention with the Wizards Guild, and I do not know how long our task may take. It could be some time. I see, she replied, sounding almost amused. There was a strange glimmer in her eyes then, and though she was still smiling, she did not look happy. So much of our burden lies in obedience. I will not press you on the matter, but know if you should come to our city, seats of great honor await you. Long have we been at peace with House Magnus. We wish to honor that alliance. My lady, Lennox replied and bowed once more. His eyes flickered to the raven standing at the princess's feet and wondered how the encounter might have gone had the birds not come. Not so different, if he had to guess. But their arrival seemed to have shaken the gathering, all except for the youngest, who continued to watch both him and Astrid with the most unassuming grin. Their business concluded. Lennox and Astrid turned to leave, when the youngest suddenly called out to the pair. I watched you fight in the field today, Sir Knight. Tell me, are you practiced in the magical arts as well, or are you limited to the blade? Turning, Lennox caught her eye and smiled. I am well practiced in magic, my lady, though I am not what I once was. I am told the sorcerers of House Magnus are some of the finest in the world. Many say they are stronger than even our most formidable wizards. Hmm, do they? I would have to take your word on that, my lady, for I am neither a sorcerer of my kingdom 
nor have I seen such a duel as you describe. The girl smiled and laughed. Yes, of course, but such a contest would be wonderful to behold, I imagine. Quite so, replied Lennox. We're told your brother is quite the wizard himself, a prodigy even, Astrid said, looking now at the young princess. Her curiosity piqued. The young princess turned her gaze upon Astrid. I've heard that as well, though it has been some time since I have seen him. We are very proud of him, said Princess Lucian, in a tone that signaled the end of the discussion. She was looking harshly towards her sister, though the young princess seemed to disregard her easily enough. Straightening, Lennox looked once more to Princess Lucian. Of course, he said with a nod. With your leave. There was a moment of silence as they turned and left, passing a pair of gentlemen who were coming to take their place before the council. That night, the pair slept in a pavilion prepared for them on behalf of Princess Lucian. It was more lavish than anything they had seen for many days, and for some time they spoke of the day's events and of the three princesses whom they had encountered. She is most unnerving, said Astrid. Which one? The youngest, Princess Maeve. Astrid was pacing about before Lennox in a discomforting manner. She reminds me of a fox, the sly thing, always smiling, as though all the world is hers to play with. She is a princess, my lady. All the world is hers to play with. Astrid stopped sharply. I am a princess, or do you take back your claim? You are... And you aren't. Either way, I advise you not compare yourself to one such as her. She is wild, the young princess, more so than any I have seen in a long time. Astrid laughed. That is not saying much, considering how much time you spent locked in a cell. I can't imagine you had many visitors. Well, that is true enough. He was grinning slightly but hoped the jests would end there. He was in no mood for them to go much further. How much longer until we reach the guild? It's not far now. We'll pass Solaire in two or three days, and the guild is not much further. We shall reach it within the week. Good. I will feel better when we are rid of this company. It sounds as though this road is well guarded. Perhaps it would have been better had we never joined this convoy. No, the roads are well guarded, but still I would not sleep with peace if we were not in this company, not with Americans have lost, and only you to stand watch. If a horde or some lesser creature were to attack, it would not bode well. With nothing more to say, a silence stretched on before the pair, until at last Astrid threw herself down upon her couch and fell at once into a long sleep. Lennox followed her example placing himself upon the couch opposite Astrid. He removed his helm and set it on the ground beside him and looked long upon the sleeping girl. He wanted to take off his armor. In his cell it had always brought him comfort, but now, free in the open world once more, it brought him little relief. He wanted to remove it, but no, it was a foolish thought. He considered closing his eyes and drifting into a living dream, a memory of the past, 
but in the end he kept his eyes upon Astrid, watching her chest rise and fall with each breath, until the light of day was broad upon the earth before their pavilion, and outside the carts were being packed, and the horses made ready for travel. From then on, they continued to ride with the hedge knights near the rear of the convoy during the day, but returned to the main camp to sleep at night. They were not called again by the court, and on the morning of the third day, the road bent northward toward Solaire, but the pair pressed forward, separating themselves from the procession as they continued on towards the guild. Their departure was quiet, with no one there to see them off, but they had gone less than a mile when Astrid shifted in her saddle and caught sight of a pair of riders not far behind. She called out to Lennox, and together they came to a halt and waited. Curious. I wonder what she is hoping to attain, thought Lennox when he saw who it was. He glanced sideways to Astrid, but her face revealed little. Princess Maeve looked much as she had the first time he had seen her watching his duel in the field. Donning a pair of narrow riding skirts, dark blue with silver buttons that ran along the sides, and a pair of soft boots. Her gray cloak streamed behind her as she rode forth, bringing her horse to a halt just before the pair. Her hair was set in a single braid that fell before her shoulder, and she was grinning her same mischievous grin, as was her custom. Sir Lennox, Lady Astrid, a sudden desire to see my brother has fallen upon me, and I was hoping I might accompany you on your travels to the guild. Alsviar turned beneath Lennox, and he took a moment to rein him in before answering. Of course, princess, we'd be delighted. Though I must ask, and I do not mean to encroach, but are your sisters aware of your decision? Indeed they are, she answered quickly. I left them a note with my full intents. They can scarcely be upset with me wanting to visit my brother. But what of the inauguration? She laughed. It is not my crowning. It will probably go better in my absence anyway. No one really cares what I have to say on the matter. She turned then to her companion. This is Pharaoh, my personal guard. He shall be joining us on our journey. With a silent nod, Pharaoh acknowledged the golden knight. Yet through all the exchanges, neither he nor Astrid spoke. Princess Maeve seemed to have said enough for the three of them, and Lennox was left to fill the gaps. Astrid had already turned her horse and was continuing down the road with Pharaoh close behind her. Lennox could not decide if the man was there to protect the princess or serve her. For a moment his mind went to Shiva and Lady Soon, but no, Shiva served for different reasons. Pharaoh had the look of a mercenary in truth, a well-dressed mercenary, but a mercenary all the same. The man was a different kind of dangerous, Lennox decided. Through all of this, Maeve watched the Golden Knight with the keenest interest, always smiling as though she knew a secret and was holding it back. He booted Alsvira forward and heard a faint laugh escape Maeve's lips as she followed closely behind. This could be a disaster, reflected Lennox, suddenly regretting joining the convoy as they had. Princess Maeve did not seem to be the type to take commands well and he hoped her intentions were truly that of visiting her brother. Yet a dark feeling fell upon him, 
and somehow he knew the truth of it, though she did little to hide it. As the company continued west along the King's Road, a group of small white cranes appeared from the north, and with their arrival came the salty spray of the slender sea. For a long while the road had taken them north, bringing them very near to the coast before again curving west towards a small peak that jettisoned out from the water's edge. Lennox recognized the birds from his youth, but it had been a long time indeed since he had seen them flying free as they were created to do. Not as high, and hovering above the water, a group of gulls swooped and soared, diving down towards the sea, circling about a single ship that sailed eastward towards the city of Solaire. The ocean breeze carried the sharp scent of salt, and did much to break the heat which had been growing as the day wore on. The sun was near halfway down the horizon, but it felt much earlier than that. Lennox had removed his helm, that he might feel the wind as it blew against his face. He had dwelt so long in his dirty cell, surrounded by stale earth and rot, that he had forgotten what the clean air smelled like. Princess Maeve murmured something softly behind him, but he paid it no mind. He was content in watching the birds as they circled the ship, its white sails growing steadily smaller as it sailed off into the distance. Soon, though, the ship was gone altogether, and the birds were nowhere to be seen and all that could be heard was the soft rumbling of the ocean waves crashing against the stony cliffs. At first, Astrid had been displeased by the sudden arrival of the princess, but as time went on she became altogether indifferent. She no longer felt the need to act as Lennox's squire, and rode forth as equals, with no word of rebuke from the knight. And while every so often he would catch Maeve watching them as they spoke, the princess seemed not to care. In fact... She smiled at the pair, as though she had suspected all along. Pharaoh was another sort altogether. He was easy enough to converse with when addressed, but was more than content to remain silent and go unheeded. Still, he seemed amused by the chaotic antics of the princess, and sometimes, when he looked upon her, his lips appeared to quirk very near to a smile. It was not a look Lennox would have expected to see from such a man. Fixing himself upon his saddle, Lennox sighed. The road before them was flat, with lightly forested hills, but as the coast curved outwards, he could see rising from the sea a fortress of stone, connected to the adjacent cliffs by a massive bridge, with towering pillars that reached down into the waters below. Malhorn Peak, Astrid said, frowning. It was once called Valakay, an outpost of the northern kingdom lost to Solaire during one of their many wars until at last the wizards took it for their own, claiming neutrality. Hmm. Lennox shook his head, flexing his hand before turning it into a fist. It had another name once, long ago, but it seems to have escaped me. Tyrion Alu, answered Maeve. A great watchtower meant to guard mankind, should the giants ever rise? In her soft voice, there was a note of admiration. With the sun finally setting, Astrid gathered her coat against the cold. Tyrion Alu, a great watchtower. She had never heard such a tale, and looked to Lennox for confirmation. A slight nod told her it was true. We should press on, Pharaoh said. No one argued, 
and soon they were on their way. Across the treetops great towers rose, dark against the evening sky. There were countless clusters of trees that hid the fortress from sight for long stretches as they rode, but always there was one or two towers that peeked above the foliage, if one knew where to look. The trees along the pass began to thin, and fields of wheat began to appear, usually accompanied by a single farmhouse, or by a group of two or three. But though the sun was setting and the hour late, no men could be seen working the land, and no smoke rose from the tall stone chimneys. Both plows and wagons alike stood abandoned in the fields, their work left unfinished. At one house close by the road, the front door was left open, its windows shattered. Lennox lifted his visor as he passed, frowning as he peered inside. What do you think happened? Astrid asked quietly. I couldn't say, replied Lennox. It is no mystery, Pharaoh said, and gestured to the trees beyond the house. The frozen woods lie just beyond those trees, and hollows are prone to wandering these parts. This seems like the work of more than a few ghouls, said Astrid, as she gazed back across the empty farms. It was then that she caught sight of Maeve, and for once the young princess was not smiling as she looked about the land. She lifted her reins and pushed her horse forward until she was beside Pharaoh and spoke softly into his ear. Neither Astrid nor Lennox heard what was spoken, but when she had finished, Pharaoh simply nodded and turned his horse from the path, spurring him forward into a swift canter south to the woods. When Maeve turned to Lennox, she was smiling again. Do not worry, he won't be far behind us. Lennox watched as Pharaoh rode away, his small form lost in shadows until he disappeared completely from view. Strange. I thought I was beginning to understand that one. Perhaps his affection for the girl is stronger than I thought. Malhorn Peak was built upon a high promontory just off the coast and was connected by a single bridge. It was not as tall nor as spectacular as Lahalian, which shook the very air with strength and power, but the massive walls that stood on opposite sides of the passage offered their own sort of shield. The dark stone was sternly implicable, showing the true intent of its builders. Lennox looked upon the gate which stood closed when a single voice called out, Who stands before the guild? Name thyself and thy purpose. I am Sir Lennox, emissary of House Magnus, and with me ride my companions, the Lady Astrid and Princess Maeve of Solaire. Both Astrid and Maeve threw back their hoods as he spoke, revealing themselves to any who should look upon them. After a brief moment, the gates before them opened, revealing half a dozen wizards draped in the traditional garb of the guild each one bearing a staff of varying shape, or wand. Yet Lennox could not help but notice that more than a few of them carried a broadsword or mace about their waists as well. Their horses were tethered nearby, fully saddled and ready to ride at a moment's notice. The guards made no move to intercept Lennox or the others. Indeed, they separated, making a path for them to pass. Din Karuni, one said, falling to his knee before the princess. Have you come to make your claim? Peace, Reniel, was all she said, 
and the man at once fell silent, and all the others remained standing as they passed. But their interest in Maeve was plain to see, whether it be reverence or fear. Lennox looked surprised, and turned his eyes upon Maeve. Well, she's a witch, is she? Curse me for not noticing it earlier, he thought. It was then that the princess caught his eye, and smiled as though her secret had been let out. As they rode across the bridge, Astrid nudged her horse to the side and peered down. The sea below was a storm of froth and stone. The white waves crashed upon the cliffs in an endless cycle. She furrowed her eyes for a better look, but saw only chaos. To attempt to scale the island from below would be madness. Behind them, the front gate swung closed. Lennox led them forward through the second gate, which opened as they drew near. Much like its twin, the gate was draped in dark metal and was guarded by a dozen men. Din Karuni, we welcome your return, one of them called out from the gate tower, and beside him, two more took to the knee. The inner courtyard was a large open street, paved with stone blocks and set between towers and battlements as stern as the iron gates. Hmm, it was wise of them to claim this fortress as their own, Lennox thought as he looked about, for the stronghold was indeed formidable. The street was crowded with people, the displaced farmers and their families, come to a place of refuge. They stood with dull eyes and faces blanked with emotion, watching as Lennox's party rode through. A few of them had carts packed with their belongings, and sitting atop them sat the children, their faces as empty as their elders, their eyes more hollow. A chilling sight, even through the narrow view of Lennox's golden helm. He looked away. Perhaps now would be a good time for us to separate, my lady, Lennox said, turning to Maeve. Nonsense. Did you believe I would come all this way and not learn what your errand was? She shook her head and smiled. Besides, in this state, who knows how long it might be before you are allowed admittance. You have business to attend. Well, no one can assist you more than I. She kicked her horse so that she was before both Lennox and Astrid, and called back. Now come, let us not delay the revealing. Not when we are so close. Though the streets were congested with people, they had not yet fallen into turmoil, and Maeve was able to lead them through with ease. The stables were just off the street, and Lennox was more than happy to relax Alcivar for some well-earned rest and food. Beside him... Astrid went about untying her belongings before giving up Akavar to one of the grooms. She handed the youth an extra silver piece and told him to feed him their freshest apple as a treat. The boy smiled and assured her he would. They found Maeve speaking with a single guard, set in plate and mail, and carrying at his side a sword with matching dagger. Clearly not a wizard, the man wore a deep blue cloak edged in black over his armor with the cresting sun of Solaire set upon the back, as well as a gray surcoat bearing a shadow set inside a ring of light. He wore no helm, and kept his hair short and clean. It is good to see you, my lady. He turned then, catching the sigil of Lord Magnus upon Astrid's chest. You bring intriguing guests with you. I did not bring them, Maeve replied. In truth, I am in their company. 
he turned back to the princess. It matters not. Word was sent to the council of your arrival as soon as you pass through the gate. They are awaiting your presence. Follow me, please. As he led them into the fortress, along cold passages set with dark tapestries, he spoke of the farmers and the attacks. I am glad for your safe passage, my lady. Some of the villagers reported seeing twenty or thirty hollows at a time. They emerged from the woods and descended upon a single home, before returning to the trees. The people no longer feel secure. The narrow halls were dark, lit only by small sconces set far apart. Surely these stories are fallacious. Hollows have never moved in such numbers, Maeve replied. Have scouts been sent out? The man turned and nodded, but he could not hide the grim look in his eyes. Three days ago, men were sent out to search the frozen woods. The first to return reported nothing, but others said they found strange trails set deep within the snow. Large patches of snow that had been flattened due to the passage of many feet. Another wave of scouts has sent this morning, and we now await their return. Let us hope what news they bring will cast light upon this strange mystery, Maeve said, though she was not smiling anymore. Behind her, Lennox and Astrid exchanged a look, and the Golden Knight shook his head no. In silence, they were led before the council. There the short-haired man bowed and excused himself, claiming the press of his duties. Mikael, Maeve called as he left. Pharaoh should be following in our wake. Make sure he is not hindered by the guards. I will, my lady. And with that he departed. The room was dim, lit by a string of hanging orbs similar to Lennox's own spell of illumination. They were the first thing to catch his eyes as he entered, for though similar in design, they were inferior to his own incantation. He couldn't help but laugh softly to himself. Perhaps he was not as weak as he first supposed. But then he thought of the Oathkeeper ring, twisting at it with his thumb, and a darkness fell upon him. Once he had wielded real power, but no longer. The room was not large and was sparsely decorated. A single tapestry hung beyond the dais, covering the length of the wall portraying two wizards, standing with their staffs before them, as though in a duel. Framing the tapestry was a pair of racks. One held a clear staff that appeared as though it were made of glass, and beside it stood a second, smaller staff. This one looked as though cut from stone. From the other rack hung a suit of armor, incomplete, for both the helm and left gauntlet were missing. Yet upon the breastplate, inlit with gold, was the sigil of the guild. A single table sat upon the platform in the shape of a crescent moon, so that those who sat at it could see one another clearly. There were five chairs placed at the table, yet only four of them were occupied. None of the council rose as Maeve and the others stood before them. Indeed, it almost seemed that they were unaware of their presence, so much they were involved in their own affairs. The table was littered with maps and pens standing in ink pots, while aged men sat reading and rummaging through sheafs of paper. Astrid thought the whole affair rather bizarre, until she saw that one of the men had been looking at them the entire time, and seemed only to be waiting while the others finished. Maeve, too, stood in silence, neither speaking nor being spoken to. One by one, the wizards of the High Council set down their papers and took notice of Maeve and her party, until there was only one. And when he had finished, the party was complete, 
and he quickly cleared his throat and called out, Din Karuni, it is good to see you. Master Royce, Maeve said with a small bow, her smile ever-present. Master Royce sat to the far left of the council, and while he seemed openly pleased as he looked upon the princess, the others did not match his demeanor. Indeed, the remaining three looked annoyed by her presence, their eyes cold and distant. Din Karuni, another began. He was the youngest of the four, and sat beside Master Royce. When you stood before us last, you swore it'd be many years before your return. Yet not even three seasons have passed. Tell us, why have you come? A wolfish grin appeared upon her face, and Lonnox found himself wondering what the girl had done to deserve such consternation from the council. Whatever it was, he was confident it was well earned, for the girl was wild, and rules did not become her. My visit is not my own, Master Bowlin, she replied, sounding pleased. I come as a companion to Sir Lennox and Lady Astrid, emissaries of Lord Magnus. They have business with the guild, and I simply followed along. Of course, while I'm here, I would like to see my brother, but as to my dealings with the council, they must wait. I will not delay my companion a moment longer, for their errand is urgent, or so I perceive. They have said nothing of detail to me. Surprised at her reply, Master Balin turned his attention towards Lennox and Astrid. Well, this is quite unique, Master Roy said, speaking up. All four of the council looked upon the Golden Knight and his companion, seeing the sigil of Lord Magnus clearly upon her chest. It was now that a third member spoke, the oldest of the council. He sat in the center with a staff leaning beside him. Long was his beard, laid like snow upon his knees, and in his eyes there shone a white light, as if a deeper understanding was in his heart. Long has it been since we had dealings with that sorcerer. Tell us, is all well with Lord Magnus? He had addressed the question towards Astrid, to her surprise. Well enough, she answered, after a time. It was at that moment that Lennox removed his helm. He had been hesitant at first, concerned that his ring of illusion would fail before such men, but then he remembered Lord Magnus had asked him to remove it as well, and decided the ring's magic was more powerful than he had first thought. Fade had crafted it for a wizard, he recalled, and for the first time, he wondered who that wizard might have been. That is pleasing to hear, Royce replied, looking now upon Lennox. His eyes twinkled with laughter, though he gave no other sign of joy. The last time Lord Magnus had dealings with the guild, I was only a boy, hardly a novice. He turned then, and spoke now to his elder. You had just made tutor, Master Elidin if I'm not mistaken. You are correct, Master Royce, replied Elidin. But let us set aside idle talk, for your pupil is not wrong, and there is urgency in our guests. Sent, they say, at the command of Lord Magnus. Perhaps that is half true, for I remember, I remember his servants of old and the sorcery that clung to them. Some of it clings to you as well, my lady, but I see none upon this golden night. 
tell me, what is your purpose here? At his words, a somber mood fell upon the room, and Lennox stepped forward in answer. Master Elidin, we seek an audience with Prince Oscar of Solaire, the purpose of which we cannot reveal except to the young prince himself. Before he finished speaking, he heard Maeve squeal with delight. Elidin frowned. Prince Oscar is in the middle of his trials. If we could but speak to him for a moment. Nothing can interrupt the trials once they have begun, Sir Knight, Master Balin interrupted. For a thousand years the sanctity of the guild has been sustained. You will wait till he is finished, or you may leave. The choice is yours. Lennox bowed in reply. Of course, I apologize for pushing the matter. We will wait until the young lord has finished. Tell me, how long do these trials normally last? Maeve spoke in answer. Three weeks, though I finished mine in less than two. Enough, Din Kuruni, snapped Master Bowlin. We do not speak of such things before outsiders. As it is, we have matters of the guild to discuss, several of which pertain to you. We were going to wait, but now that you are here, I see no reason for us to delay such materials any longer. As Lennox stood listening, a strange noise began to echo through the room, so soft and subtle that he wasn't sure what he was hearing, or if it was even real. I'm not here to discuss guild affairs, Maeve answered. I am only here as companion to Sir Lennox and Lady Astrid. Yes, you have made that clear to us. Balin replied, yet their business is concluded at present. They are free to reside within Malhorn Peak for the time being, but you are not released from your duties. Lennox tilted his head. It was a horn, he was certain. Its call was dim but unmistakable. He looked about the room, but none of the others seemed to have taken notice. He strode forward, then his eyes fell upon Maester Aladdin, and he halted, standing stiff as stone. You hear it as well, Sir Knight? Elidin asked. The question filled the chamber, bringing a halt to both Maeve and Master Bowlin. They turned in unison, looking towards the age wizard. Hear what? Bowlin asked. A horn, distant but immense, Lennox replied. I hear it too. Master Royce's chair scraped across the floor as he stood. That is no warning of ours, but I fear its message. Maeve was looking to Master Royce for an explanation when she heard it as well, a soft horn blowing in the distance. Yet it felt close somehow. She was befuddled then, unsure of how she could have missed it. Her eyes darted towards Elodin and then Lennox. They had both heard it before her. The night was more powerful than she first thought. What horn? Astrid found herself ask as she turned to Lennox. I hear nothing. Nor would you, Lennox replied. It is an enchanted call. Only those practicing magic can hear its blast. Only a great wizard or sorcerer could have produced such an instrument. But what does it mean? Maeve asked. It means fear, Din Karuni, Elidin answered. 
rising from his seat. It means foes. The guilt is under siege. Chapter 18 Gailhout trotted quietly beside the trope's wagon, doing his best to ignore the large wolf that lingered behind. He kept a collected seat, but the way his horse shook every time Merrick drew near showed that at least one of them was wary of the beast. Sir Vantamir, riding opposite Gailhout, was not faring much better. He watched the wolf constantly, tilting his head that he might better see through the slit of his helm. More than once he twisted in his saddle to look for the beast until at last Merrick bounded off into the woods, vanishing from sight. Shiva watched them both with calculating eyes. It was good to know what men feared. The trope had accepted the knights openly. Though known to be somewhat of a recluse, Lord Magnus had an honorable reputation among the people, or at least a fair standing, and having two of his knights as escorts was seen as a good omen. The warden had resumed his position on the rear cart beside Joss, who seemed open to the company. The youth had asked many questions at first, and while Sir Galehout was willing to answer them, his answers were short and offered little explanation as to the nature of their duty. He's not far, Shiva answered when Jost asked where Merrick had run off to. Close enough to answer my call if the need should arise, though I doubt any trouble will come our way that Merrick doesn't know of first. Yet even as he spoke, doubt trickled at the back of his mind. The frozen woods had grown colder, and the arrival of Sir Galehout and Sir Vantmere weighed heavily upon him. The tropers may have taken to them without concern, but not him. Lady Soon had said nothing of an escort, and he was left to wonder. Did they portend some new evil, or were they ambassadors of providence? He could not say, but inside doubt had taken root. A smart beast, your wolf. Rarely have I come across such intelligence outside the ravens of my master. He is larger than the local breed. Tell me, where does he hail from? Gilhard asked with a smile, turning in his seat. He is of the north, Shiva answered, but he is not mine. I make no claim to him, except perhaps that I am his guide and mean to see him back to his master. Oh, of the north, you say? That's quite a distance for such a beast to travel. He is called Merak, yes? What does it mean? Shiva turned and looked upon Galehout for a moment. I cannot say. I speak not the northern tongue. Perhaps we shall ask his master then, when we come across him. Merrick's master is a woman, Sir Knight, and it was my understanding that you were to escort us only while we traveled upon Lord Magnus's land. I see how you could have come to that inference, but it is an error, Galehout said with a smile. We are to assist the trope while they travel our lands, true enough, but you, we are to escort until you reach the guild. Lord Magnus knows you serve Lady Soon, and wishes to aid her. He gestured towards Sir Vantamir. We have been sent to help, in whatever way we can. Shiva continued to look at the knight, not speaking, not saying a word. Sir Galehout slowed and pushed his horse around the cart next to Vantamir. He was smiling, it seemed, 
and had a calming nature to him that made him appear less dangerous than he was. Shiva looked past him to Sir Vantamir. The pair of them, he knew, were no ordinary knights. Dangerous, to be sure, but still only men. He had battled true monsters, and the fear of men was no longer in him. For three days they traveled north along the frozen woods, the open fields of Lord Magnus ever-present to the east. Their pace was slow, but the trope stopped only when twilight thickened, and camp was kept to a bare minimum, so that they did not lose the morning to idle waste. Often, Merrick would make to the woods in the day to hunt and eat as he liked, but each night he would come to the fire for a time, checking to see that all was well. Shiva understood. The unending music and endless chatter dribbled on in a parade of noise and clatter. Sometime it was more than he could take, and wished that he might escape into the woods as well. He had grown accustomed to Cervantamir. The Silver Knight was quiet, and kept to himself. Sir Galehout, in contrast, always seemed to be talking with somebody, and made his way to Shiva who stood alone by a fire beside his cart. Merrick was approaching as well, sulking out from the woods like a shadow when the knight inquired as to how old the beast was. He's still growing, Shiva answered, watching as the wolf strode forth, shaking loose snow from his fur, before lying down beside the flame. That is all Astrid would ever say. Astrid? cried Galehout in surprise. She is known to me. Is she the beast's master? Rarely would emotions show so plainly upon the warden's face but he could not hide the surprise he felt as he turned to look upon Sir Galehout. She is. But how is it you know her? I was sent to retrieve her not ten days ago, upon the very spot we first met you. She and Sir Lennox had stumbled into our borders from the woods. The knight was severely wounded, but my master assured me of his recovery. Why did you not mention this sooner? Believe me, good sir, when I tell you I would have, had I known of your connection. Astrid spoke of a friend, but said not his name. When last I saw her, she was being escorted into Lohalian to meet with Lord Magnus. Then they are safe, Shiva said more to himself. Tell me, do they still reside within the tower? That I do not know answered Galehout sadly, for upon parting, Sir Vantamir and I traveled to the ruins of Cathan, and there we waited as we were bid, until a warden of the east and a single wolf should arrive. We were then to escort the pair on their travels. It was thought you were destined for the Wizard's Guild, but if that is not your terminus, then we were to aid you indefinitely. The warden looked at Galehout with renewed wonder, but his eyes hardened. Alas, that I did not hear of this sooner. I would have made straight for the tower. But I see now that perhaps Lord Magnus knows more than I thought, for he sent me you, and now I mean to use you. That is pleasing to hear, said Galehout. I would much prefer to ride in your company than have trailed after you like some stray dog, had you refused our aid. Shiva smiled then, 
though his eyes remained rigid. I am not so foolish, Sir Galehout, that I would refuse aid when offered it freely. We will have to ride through the forest once more to reach the guild, and I know the dangers of these woods, more so than most. Yes, I fancy you do. The next morning they started before dawn, walking the same road they had been following for many days. When light came they could see the forest coming forward to meet them, and by noon they had reached a crossroad, halting beneath the great overhanging boughs of the frozen woods. One path continued north through the forest, the entrance of which was like a sort of tunnel made by two great trees that leant together. The other path broke east, running parallel to the woods once more, for as far as could be seen. Aladdin had fallen back to inquire upon which path they should take, when a single raven appeared from the woods, walking out from the entrance and taking to the air. The bird had hardly risen to the top of the trees before circling to the trope, and landing at once upon Sir Vantamir's outstretched arm. Hmm, said Sheba, and watched the interaction with great interest as did Aladdin, and the youth who was closest to Vantamir. The silver knight lifted his visor and tilted his head, bringing the bird to his ear. He stayed quiet for a short while, listening to the soft quarks of the bird before suddenly lifting his arm high. Stretching out its wings, the raven took to the air, and this time did not return. He was soon a dark speck in the sky, as Vantamir made his way over to where Gerhout and Aladdin waited. What news does he bring? Gilhoud asked. Only one of warning, Sir Vantamir began. There is movement in the woods, foul creatures, more so than there has ever been. They are further west, deeper into the forest. Yet he gives caution, and asks we consider taking the eastern road, as the northern passage is no longer safe. Others of his flock have returned to Lahalion with the news, so that men might be posted outside the forest to warn travelers. We are lucky one stayed behind. How far east does the road go before turning north once more? asked Aladdin. A long while, answered Vantamir. Three days of good travel at least. Three days? By then we will have missed the best part of the king's inauguration. This passage through the woods, how long will it take? It's a true path through the woods, and the path has always been well kept, answered Shiva. If we ride through the night, we will clear the forests by this time tomorrow. I would not recommend such action, Gilhout warned, shaking his head. Never have I seen the ravens so riled that they would leave only one while the others went away in warning. If they spoke of danger, then I believe it best we take their counsel seriously. This won't do, said Aladdin. Let me speak with my trope. If we miss the coronation, then this entire trip will have been a waste. We have traveled through dangerous lands before, Sir Gerhout. A few stray ghouls do not scare us. Come, Joss. We must discuss this with the others. A hint of a smile touched at Shiva's lips as he watched Aladdin depart. He had respect for a man who would not be easily dissuaded once a goal had been set. 
though he did not think it was the wisest choice. He would be taking the northern passage no matter what the trope decided. His lady had told him to move quickly, and he had already lost much time, more so than he had planned for. He would delay no longer. Did the birds say nothing more of the creatures? He asked, turning to the knights. Were they hollows, or something else? Vantimir shook his head. He spoke only of the cursed, but he said that they were traveling together in large numbers, more so than had ever come before, and that they were heading north. If they are heading north, then why should he fear for us? Are they crossing through the pass? He did not say, answered Vantimir. Shiva stood then, and gazed through the arch into the dim gloom of the woods. Whatever the others should choose, I ride north. I was warned that speed was of the utmost importance, and that disaster would follow should I fail. Hmm, so be it, answered Galehout. If we are to travel, then best we do it quickly, while we still have the light. I will ride and speak of our decision to the others. They will want to know our course. The trope will ride with us, said Shiva. They are all of like mind, and the temptation of the king's inauguration is more than they can deny. I concur, said Galehout with a nod. But still, the conversation must be had. And with that, Galehout kicked his horse forward and made his way towards Aladdin, who was speaking before the group. Shiva had been right, and soon the trope was riding single file through the entrance of the frozen woods. The path itself was wide, though it swiveled round several large trees, as so not to disturb the land. Light was scarce as a thick haze hovered about. Shiva was quick to note the change, for such a fog was unnatural. He glanced sidelong towards Ogahout, but the cheerful night seemed as disturbed as the rest and looked upon the haze with a furrowed brow. As their eyes became accustomed to the murky light, they could see more of their surroundings. Illuminated every so often by a slender beam that somehow passed through both trees and mist, but soon such beams ceased altogether, and a bitter mood fell upon the party. You seem perplexed, Sir Knight, said Shiva. What is it that vexes you? It is this bothersome fog. It is most unnatural. There is a stirring inside me, a warning that cannot be stifled, though I know not what it is. I feel it too, Sir Knight, subtle though it may be. Best we move quickly. Perhaps one of us should lead. Galehout nodded. You're right. Vantimir, join Aladdin at the front and make sure our pace does not slacken. With a silent nod, the Silver Knight rode forth, passing the trope with plenty of room to spare. Not long after, their pace increased, and Shiva felt a weight lighten upon him, though not much, and not for long. The air was still within the forest, and though they thought it dim when they had entered, it was nothing compared to the perfect darkness that encompassed them when night fell. Even Shiva seemed bothered by the black, and he was used to making camp in the dark places of the world. Without their lanterns, 
the warden could not imagine seeing his own hand had he waved it before his face. As it was, he could barely see the cart before him, and the trope's pace had come almost to a crawl. Long into the night they traveled, and as they went the lights from their lanterns drew forth moths from deep within the woods, large, bluish-white creatures that slowly surrounded them. At first it was only a few, but as time passed their numbers increased until there were hundreds of them, flapping and worrying about the trope so much that it became impossible to see, and Sir Vantamir could do nothing but call the trope to a halt. We will have to wait till morning, said the Silver Knight, much to Aladdin's displeasure. Inform your people that they are to sleep within their wagons. What of the horses? They will make do. With the lights put out, the moth should depart, answered Vantamir, who had begun to turn his horse about. I will stand watch this night, but first I will seek counsel with Sir Galehout. Now be quick. I fear we are attracting more than these weary creatures. He found Galehout and Shiva waiting for him near the back, and steadied his horse as Merrick sulked out from behind the cart. The Silver Knight spared a glance toward the wolf before speaking. I had to stop. Three times I nearly lost the path, as it turned beneath me. We shall wait until morning. There is no other choice to be made. Soon after, all their lanterns were put out, and the pitch black that fell upon them was complete. With no light to draw them forth, the moths dispersed, fluttering away in all directions. Shiva and Gelhot had agreed to keep watch as well, not trusting the dark forest to give them peace. Vantamir had taken post near the front once more, leaving Galehout to walk the camp alone. With no light to guide the way, the old knight strode from one cart to the next with his hand outstretched, feeling at the cold wood of the wagons. Still more time passed, and Shiva began to worry as their surroundings stayed ever dark. It was then that he sensed an ominous presence, and the warning he had felt suddenly screamed out inside him. Where has that man gone off to? he whispered, his tone anxious and concerned. Beside him, Merrick rose, sniffing at the air and turning towards the warden with bared teeth. Hmm, go, see that all is well, he said to the wolf. A moment later, Merrick leapt clear the wagon onto the unseen path and bounded off into the unknown. Shiva waited patiently, lighting a torch as his heart beat calmly inside his chest. He had learned patience, he had learned restraint. To fail at either was not in him. Ow! Came the wolf's howl suddenly. Ow! Ow! Came the second and third. Shiva jumped from the wagon, landing upon the earth with a soft pat before dashing off along the carts toward Marek's call. In the distance, a second torch was coming to meet him. Sir Vantamir, sword drawn and ready for battle. They met just short of the center cart, but saw no sign of Galehout. Oh! Came another call, this one from deep in the woods. Stay with the trope, Shiva shouted, and sprinted off towards the woods. I will reclaim our lost friends. But he did not have to go far before discovering the source of all their misfortune. With his torch blaring, he stumbled upon three spiders, wide as the snow that filled the woods crouching with fangs bared as they circled Merrick. Bundled in strings of web lay Sir Galehout, his two feet sticking out from the bottom. 
The great wolf stood over the night, placing himself between the spiders and their prey, as muffled cries stirred beneath him. Shiva moved at once, drawing his scimitar and slashing down upon the nearest spider. It hissed out in pain before going limp. With its death, a rage fell upon the other two. They turned towards the warden, scuttling towards Shiva with blinding speed, though they did not move fast enough. Merritt caught one by its leg, shaking it violently until the limb ripped off completely. It went mad then, leaping away and scuttling off into the darkness. With a shrill hiss, the remaining spider leapt towards Shiva, shoving its leg forwards like swords to pierce the warden. Shiva darted forward to meet him, ducking low and swiping at the spider from below. He cut the creature in two before falling to the ground. He flipped over then and placed his hand upon the spider's limp corpse, drawing out his sword which was now stained black. He wiped it quickly upon the snow and sheathed it as he reached for his dagger. Half crawling and half stumbling, he made his way towards the bundled galehout and cut at the web, breaking the threads that bound him until the night was clear. Setting the night up, Shiva peered out into the woods and took up his torch once more. What's happened? Are you well? He asked, keeping his voice low. Galehout grabbed at his knees, trying desperately to steady his shaking hands. They fell upon me from above, he said, his voice thin and weak. Gagged me with their web and stung me with their filthy poison. He tried to rise but faltered staying on one knee until Shiva took him beneath his arm and helped him to his feet. The fog. It is an illusion. We've walked into their den. We must move now or risk being consumed. At that moment, Shiva, who was fixing his eyes upon the woods, saw a twinkle of light in the distance. There, he said. Sir Vantimir has lit the way. Now come. The road is not far. There was a hollow scream then as lights began to spring forth, lanterns and torches both, illuminating the troop in a line of fire. More shouts accompanied the fresh light, and terror reigned in the distance. Merrick, go! Sparing only a quick look toward Shiva, the wolf bounded off towards the lights. More shouts followed as the trope roused to life, and Merrick slipped ahead of them. With Sir Galehout poisoned, he shook with every step resting upon Shiva as his body drooped low. Their pace was slow, but they had cleared the gap and were nearly back to the road, when out of the corner of his eyes Shiva caught the movement of another spider, leaping down from behind a tree without a sound and scuttling towards the pair. Shiva was reaching for his sword when Sir Galehout's hand whipped back and forward in a flash of silver. The spider fell dead with a long blade sticking out from its eye. One of my best daggers... Gilhout muttered, but made no attempt to retrieve it as Shiva drove them forward. Never have I come across such creatures in these woods. From where did this new evil come? I know not, answered Shiva. Perhaps from beyond the mountain. Either way, we cannot tarry. They should not have been able to hide from my master, nor from the ravens. Their illusion must be very strong indeed. To hide them so thoroughly. Indeed, Shiva answered, and thought at once of the fog. Soon they reached a low bend and stepped clear of the forest onto the path just south of the trope. The screams had stopped, and strewn about the camp were more white corpses, three or four of them from what Shiva could see. 
he could hear men shouting from further up, when Joss suddenly appeared holding a bow with arrow knocked. They're here, he called back, and ran out to meet the pair. Is everyone safe? Gilhoud asked. The old knight was beginning to shake quite a bit as Shiva lifted him up onto the back of the cart. Can't say, Joss answered. Most of the spiders had been slain by the time I awoke. Otto handed me a bow and told me to keep watch. Stay with him, Shiva said, gesturing to the knight, and be ready to move quickly. Leaving Sir Galehout with the youth, he moved on, passing the carts one by one. As of yet, he saw none who had been killed, but several had been poisoned and were beginning to feel its effects. He found Aladdin near the front, speaking quietly with Otto and Sir Vantamir. Merrick called out the warden's arrival, and the three reached for the weapons, relaxing when they saw it was Shiva. Is Gilhout well? Did you find him? said Vantamir. The Silver Knight had lost his helm in the fray, and stood dirtied from battle with his long hair pulled back. He has been badly poisoned, Shiva answered, and is resting on the rear cart with Joss. I'm afraid he is rather unfit to fight should the need arise which it might indeed if we do not move quickly. You want us to ride now? Half the bloody trope's been poisoned, and already the moths are fluttering about, argued Otto. What else can we do? Wait to be attacked once again? asked Aladdin. Morning must be near, interjected Van Tamir. We need only wait a little longer. Morning will not come. Shiva said sharply. Gilhout said as much, and I sense it now too. This entire wood has been bewitched. We must press on, and we must do it now. Bewitched, said Vantamir, gazing about. I have felt no magic here. It is subtle. We should wait until we have more light, Otto replied sternly. What happens if we should get off the trail? It was hard enough to see when we were moving slowly, and already the moths are returning. Have you heard nothing I've said? shouted Shiva. We need to go now, or we will never see light again. Otto was about to speak, but hesitated, eyeing the warden narrowly. When he spoke next, he sounded disgusted with himself. Right then, I believe you. But it's been nothing but trouble since you showed up like a vagrant drifter. He turned to Aladdin. Once we're clear the woods, either he gets on his way or I do. I'm taking my wagon and any who want to go with me. Aladdin's eyebrow rose in surprise. Your terms have been made perfectly clear and will be addressed after we're clear this mess. As it is, I agree. The forest has felt ill ever since we set foot upon this cold path, and I can't see it getting any better. We push on, and quickly as we can. What of the moths? asked Vantamir. What of them? answered Shiva. Surely the light will draw them forth, and we will be none the better. Moths or no, it is the only way. We must try. He paused then looking out along the darkness of the path. I'll set torches upon the trees as we go. It may not keep all of them at bay, but perhaps it will draw enough 
that we will be able to move freely. It will be dangerous leaving the road. I will have Merrick with me, said Shiva. Now let's depart. We have wasted enough time as it is. The moths came sooner than expected, fluttering about in flashes of white and ash gray. Yet as they continued on, the swarm lessened, drawn back by the steady stream of light left behind by Shiva. They went on for a long time like that, walking through the dark unknown. Joss sat atop the rear cart beside Sir Gailhout with an arrow knocked, keeping an eye upon the warden and his beast. The breathlessness of the air tightened all around them, growing still and stagnant, heavy and dark. They walked as it were, with little hope through the darkness. Even so, they went on, into the deeper parts of the forest. The past must end eventually, Shiva knew, and looked back along the trail of fire. Deep into nothing it went, reminding him of an endless cavern road beside the undead cathedral. It was then that he noticed he had fallen behind, and when he moved to catch up, found that the carts were moving faster than he expected. He looked about, curious as to what had brought on the change when he saw it. A break in the darkness, a ray of light that pierced through the trees like a spear. Gazing ahead, he saw more rays, many more, and in the surrounding darkness, where none could hear him, he laughed, and relief fell upon him, though his eyes remained hard. Pressing his heels into his steed's flanks, he galloped forward feeling the wind against his face as he broke through the stagnant air. The light grew quickly then, filling the forest first with a dim haze, and then with a brilliant light, shining upon the snow and illuminating the ice like shimmering diamonds and fields of white. He heard Joss laughing from the distance, and saw the youth grinning gingerly at the sun. We made it, he shouted as Shiva drew up beside the cart. We're through. Not yet, answered Shiva his eyes stern as he looked back over his shoulder. He turned to the youth. Don't let your guard down. There are other foul creatures in these woods besides spiders, and some that are not afraid of light. The youth laughed uneasily, as if he thought it were a joke, but Shiva's distant stare made him fall quiet. Keep the watch, he said again, before moving up the line. An uneasiness still lay upon the warden, warning him but to all the rest their fear had faded with the passing shadows. They believed they had seen the worst of it. Perhaps they have, but it was foolish to assume. Looking about the forest, he galloped on, until he suddenly realized that the entire trope had stopped, and before him, Sir Vantamir stood conversing with Aladdin and Otto before a great split in the road. He drew rein as he neared, bringing his horse to a stop, and gazing once more into the spider's hole that lay behind them. Its dark force could still be felt, as they were not too far removed as of yet. What is the delay? We are clear of that foul place, but we should not linger. We've come to a split, Sir Vantamir answered. The eastern road leads to Solaire, while the northern road continues on to the guild. What then is the delay? There is no delay, answered Alden with a smile. Sir Vantamir was simply offering coin that we might carry on with Sir Galehout while he rides north with you. I refused, of course, but the knight insisted. He will need treatment, Vantamir said. 
See that he gets the best, and there will be more silver when next we meet. He turned then toward Shiva. Gather your belongings. We continue on. The warden looked to Otto then, and was surprised when the sour man gave him a half nod. He returned the nod, and pushed his steed so that he was beside Aladdin. I'm sorry for any trouble I may have caused you. It was not my intent. The blonde man sighed. If I didn't know any better, I'd have thought you a cursed man. But perhaps having you along saved us. He raised his hand up to the warden, and Shiva took it firmly in his own. Travel safely, said the warden, and do not delay. You as well, answered Aladdin. Perhaps we will meet again. Maybe. I will ask my lady when I see her next. And with that he departed, returning to the rear cart to retrieve his effects and say his goodbyes to the youth. He checked Sir Galehout one last time, and together with Sir Vantamir beside him, watched as the trope departed, traveling east upon the forest road. Will they be safe? He asked as the trope dipped around the bend. Safer than us, answered the Silver Knight. But only at present. There is a darkness fallen upon these woods, and I cannot say how long the guild can stand against it. Not without aid. The last remnants of the trope disappeared then, and Shiva looked one last time towards the dark lair of the spiders, and turned, kicking his horse into a fast trot, to make up what lost time he could. Chapter 19 Shiva and Cervantamir continued along the northern path, making their way through the frozen woods at a swift pace. After emerging from the perfect night that ruled the spider's den, the light above was blinding. It hurt their eyes, but neither spoke of the inconvenience, nor hinted at their discomfort. They spoke little as they rode, and a gloomy demeanor had befallen Cervantamir. The loss of a friend, the failure of duty, Shiva could not say. He was breathing well, the warden offered. If the poison had been a lethal dose, Sir Galehout would have passed before our departure. Perhaps, replied Vantamir, his eyes forward. But it is more than Galehout's well-being that concerns me. A change has come. A darkness lurks. Lord Magnus's road has been polluted, and the ravens said nothing. Either they know and did not speak of it, or they were deceived. The guild must be warned, as must my master. Shiva gave the knight a flat look, then nodded reluctantly. Yes, of course. In the distant north, the forest rose high with outlines of green spreading out against a blue sky. Remnants of the Tate had spread far, but at last its corruption was beginning to fade. Shiva was pleased with what he saw, yet they still had some distance to travel, and the cold was still very much about them. An icy wind had begun to blow, gusting through the hollow road in quick blasts that froze the sweat on Shiva's neck. The wind came from the south, bringing with it a lingering stench of decay, the stagnant air of the spider's den. Will we clear the woods by nightfall? asked the warden. Vantamir nodded and pointed towards the horizon. We are closer than you think. Just beyond those hills is open farmland in the ocean. It is there that we will find the guild. If we keep this pace, we shall reach it before dusk. Hmm, 
That is good to hear. I have passed through the forest many times, but always on my way to Solaire. Never have I seen the guild. It does not compare with Lohalian, began the knight. Yet it is a fine castle, strong and true. I visited it often in my youth, when I traveled with my father. Then you are not from the Eastern Ark. The knight laughed. Regrettably, I am not. But I have found my home in the service of Lord Magnus. The road turned westward then, only for a league before bending north once more. They maintained a quick pace, resting only that the horses might take a drink before continuing on. The sun was a sullen orange ball, just touching the treetops when they at last began to break free of the surrounding snow. The forest found new life then, filled with vibrant greens and rich browns. Squirrels could be seen running the lengths of the trees, and not long after, a great wolf darted off, chasing after some unseen prey. For a time, the pair continued on without concern, but it wasn't long before both Shiva and Cervantamir began to wonder where the wolf had gotten to, for they were beginning to travel some distance without any sign from the beast. It was then his call came clear through the forest trees. Oh! Oh! Shiva pulled to a halt, his eyes darting out west along the tree line. Why have we stopped? said Vantamir. He is only hunting. The warden shook his head. No, he would not call out if there was not a need. Eager to press on, Vantamir looked northeast toward the fading sun. It would be prudent for us to clear these woods before nightfall. We have some time still, answered the warden. Taking his reins firmly in his hands, he turned westward, at an angle to the road, and pushed his steed off the path into the dark earth of the forest. He could hear Sir Vantamir falling closely in his wake, and was pleased that the knight had not voiced an objection. The silver knight was there to aid him, and Shiva was curious just how far the knight was willing to go to fulfill his master's will. In the dark shadows of the forest, piles of snow and ice could be seen having persisted through the noon sun. The cold was still present, and the breath rose like steam before their eyes. They had come to the foot of a stony hill and stopped, and there all signs of Merrick vanished. Which way could he have gone? said the knight. Southward, beyond the bend, or perhaps north again? Oh, neither, I should say, Shiva answered, and quickly dismounted, tying off his steed to a nearby tree. He climbed the hill and continued west. Tracks do not simply disappear, unless he was to travel upon these stones. I would be remiss if I were not to repeat my convictions, Vantamir said as his boots touched the ground. He led his horse beside Shiva and tied him off, gazing once more towards the sun. Your beast will do well in such a place once night falls. The forest is his home. I cannot say the same for us. We will return soon enough, good sir. There is time yet. Shiva paused then, looking down towards the silver knight, who was steadily climbing up after him. If we do not find him beyond this hill, we will return without delay. Sir Vantamir nodded, and together they continued their ascent. It was a steep hill, but manageable, even in armor. They reached the top before long, and there they found the great wolf seated like a statue upon the ridge, gazing out across the land. Beyond the trees to the west lay a web of lakes, 
the waters glittering darkly in the shadows of the surrounding trees, strung together by thin streams that weave through the surrounding foliage. In the distance, standing in the shallow waters of the center lake, stood the hollows, three thousand strong at least, unmoved amidst the quiet of the calm waters. Beside him, Shiva heard Sir Vantamir gasp. Hmm. The warden's face was calm, lacking all emotion as he gazed about the surrounding lakes. There are more standing in the shadows of the woods, he said, and pointed them out for the night to see. What could be their purpose? I cannot say, and at this time it would be unwise to guess. We must return, Vantamir said. News of this must be told at once, for such a number to collect like this is unheard of, and so near the guild. Just then, there was a stirring in the waters of the furthest lake. The dark water rolled and bubbled as a black shape rose up to the surface and rippled against the top before disappearing into the unknown. The pair watched the lake grow still before exchanging a look. They retreated without a word, making their way down the hill once more to their horses. Dusk deepened. They left the hillside and continued east toward the road, but had hardly gone half a league before skidding to a halt. Shiva grunted in frustration and turned his horse northward, looking upon a group of ghouls as they cut across the woods. They do not see us, he began. We'll go around then circle east back towards the road. Sir Vantamir nodded and followed after, but Merrick hesitated, baring his teeth toward the foul undead before bounding off after Shiva in the night. They went on for a mile or more northwards, searching for a way back to the road, yet all they saw were hollows interspersed in groups of two or three, traveling north towards the fading sun. Both riders had paused for a moment, deciding which way they should go while Merrick traveled some ways ahead. Suddenly the wolf gave a cry and the others came riding towards him, expecting to find a clear path, but instead coming upon a pile of huddled bodies taken for boulders in the darkening woods. These are guild men, said the knight as he searched the ground in a wide circle. Look, he pointed, there lie the staffs, broken and discarded by the enemy. Shiva pushed his horse forward, taking in the grounds, wondering what calamity had befallen the slain wizards. The trees all about were scorched black, and a charred stench remained amidst the cold wind. They were ambushed, said the warden at last, by more than just hollows. But which foul creatures had attacked, he could not say, for the ground had been trampled hard and flat, so that few clues remained. A little further north they came upon a fold where once a great river had run, falling and winding through the wood like so many others. The river had decreased though, so that only a small stream ran through the center. Here, said Shiva. His eyes narrowed as he gestured to the soft sand beside the riverbank, where a line of tracks crossed the path. I see only another riddle, said Vantamir. His eyes creased as he looked past the river into the deep of the woods. The tracks continue north up this water channel, towards the farmlands you spoke of. He paused then, noticing how deep the tracks were compared to his own. Let us hope we do not come across whatever foe fell upon those wizards. They were near ten of them, I counted, and we are only three. Without replying, Shiva pushed his horse forward, riding hard with Merrick and Vantamir close behind. 
They broke east and finally managed to find the road. Swiftly now they rode, watching as the fading sun continued in its descent until they reached the crest of a small hill and a great wind blew against them and stirred their cloaks, the cold wind of night. Do you see that? cried Vantamir suddenly as he reined in his horse. There, it is a man, I think, traveling along the road. Shiva pushed forward without reply, his eyes focusing on the stranger that lay ahead. As they drew near, they found that it was indeed a man, bloodied and limping along the path before them. Greetings, stranger, cried Vantamir as the pair drew near. The man had stopped and turned to watch as they rode up, and for a moment he stood silent, looking upon them with one eye, for the left side of his face was a mash of blood, and his hair was tangled with dirt and leaves. Greetings, he said at last. Their horses began to flutter in the growing darkness, but Vantamir kept a steady seat and spoke out. What woe has befallen you, and why are you here alone in the woods of my master? At the knight's words, a spark of life returned to the man's face. You serve Lord Magnus? Sir Vantamir nodded. I do. Then I shall answer you quickly, for time is short. I was sent into these woods at the request of Lady Maeve of Solier to probe the land for hollows and return with my findings. He looked now toward Shiva, who returned his gaze with a cold and empty stare, his mouth tight and thin. And what did you learn? asked Vantamir. There is a horde of hollows marching upon Malhorn Peak, even as we speak. They are traveling slowly along the winding river, led by a knight sent in brazen armor. I was returning to the guild to speak of what I found, when my horse was spooked by stray hollows, and I was thrown. I fought my way back to the road just before you found me. It is well we did, said Vantamir. Even now more hollows follow. They will be upon us soon if we do not move in haste. This night, Shiva began, can you describe him? Nay, he answered, shaking his head. He was far indeed, too far from my eyes to see him well, but he moved between the hollows as though he were their master. This confirms all I have thought, cried Vantamir. A new order has come upon the undead, and they have become an enemy worth fearing. Come, said Shiva, holding out his hand to the wounded stranger. We are not far from the guild. My horse can bear the weight of two for the remainder of our course. The stranger nodded and took Shiva's hand, struggling upon the back of his horse behind the warden. I am Pharaoh, said the man, personal guard to Princess Maeve. I am Shiva of Cateron, and my companion is Servantimir, servant of Lord Magnus. It is well that we came across you before night was complete, that darkness fool our eyes, and we take you for the undead. If that had been the case, we may have struck you down as we rode, said Vantamir. His eyes over his shoulder were stark and grim. These woods grow more foul each passing hour. Pharaoh laughed nervously, as if he thought it were a joke. Shiva was not so sure. Vantamir was sent to aid him, not to rescue wounded bodyguards. Lord Magnus kept his lands clean and orderly. One man mistaken for an undead would matter little to the great lord. Abruptly, he stared off to his left, deep into the woods, just as a shallow growl echoed from Merrick. 
His eyes searched the forest. One of the trees had trembled, only for a moment, before growing still. But he had seen it, and so had the wolf. Pharaoh and Vantamir were looking as well, when suddenly one of the trees near the fringe whipped back, its trunk cracking loudly as it snapped at the base and disappeared into the woods behind. A shrill scream went out, and a dark mass shifted before disappearing into nothing. Keep riding, Vantamir instructed, drawing his sword. His silver gauntlets flickered in the night as he turned his horse so that he faced the woods. And do not stop whatever you should hear. A hint of jealousy rose within Shiva as he watched Vantamir charge into the unknown. What foe lay inside the woods? What beast? What monster? He let the thought fade as he watched the night get swallowed by the darkness. Lady soon had given him a quest, and it would lead to the greatest victory one might have, if he could see it through to the finish. Hold tight, he urged Pharaoh, and dug his heels into his horse's flanks, pushing him as hard as he might. Do not lose your grip. If you should fall, it will be your end. A great roar went out from the woods where Vantamir had gone. It resonated through the forest, and all the trees shied away from it, as though stricken by an axe. For even when it had faded, the forest shuddered. Again the roar rumbled forth, and with it came hate and death. What can you see? said Shiva. Can you? The awful cry came once more loud and shrill, before cutting off tersely. He is there, cried Pharaoh. Emerging from the woods back upon the dim path appeared the knight, holding his sword well clear of himself as he turned his horse and began racing after them at full speed. A number of hollows are behind him, continued Pharaoh, as the horde began pouring out from the woods, but they are afoot and will not catch us. That was no hollow he faced in those trees answered Shiva, but even as he spoke a second horde broke out before them. The hollows turned in, blocking the path like a fleet of shadows. Shiva's sword was in his hand. Clean and true he struck out as he passed, his blade taking the heads of any ghoul who drew near. Merrick howled in rage, biting and tearing upon the corrupted souls so that even they seemed to take pause before coming once more at the riders. Teeth bared in a rictus growl, the great wolf tore at the last of the men that stood before them, making a clearing for Shiva to pass through. Broken and dismantled, all who remained tried to reform as Sir Vantamir came riding past. But the knight was too fast, and cleared the horde without even having to level his blade. Standing in his stirrups, Vantamir charged forward, pushing his stallion faster and faster, until he had reclaimed the distance and rode beside Shiva. But it did not last and once again the shadows shifted along the fringe, and the silver knight took to the trees. More screams followed, both shrill and filled with fear, and again the knight emerged, his blade and armor dripping in black blood that smelled of rot, even as they rode. Breath streamed forth from the knight, and his silver armor no longer shined, yet his eyes remained strong. We are nearly there, Pharaoh shouted as they fought through another small horde. Three hollows fell quickly beneath Shiva's blade and the powerful swipes of Merrick's claws as they pushed on. The forest trees were just beginning to thin when a harrowing cry arose behind them. Detached and deep, it brought an eerie calm to the woods, and all signs of the hollows vanished, revealing an open path before them. The strange call came again, 
like a strained blast from a cracked war horn. The cry was answered with a deep rumble that shook the path and sent a shiver down Shiva's spine. But if it was one of fear or excitement, none could tell. Another unknown foe comes toward us, Vantamir said grimly, to which Shiva gave no reply. The warden sat measuring the distance before them while the last light of the sun passed away. We make for Malhorn Peak, he said, though something in his voice hinted of regret. We must not get caught outside the gates. He pushed his horse forward. Ride, he screamed, and do not look back. Both Vantamir and Merrick plunged after him, racing along the hidden road quick as the wind. They were near the end of the forest now, and the woods were growing thin before opening all at once into a wide field full of flat land and tall grass. It would have been a welcome sight had the armies of the undead not occupied the plains west of them. They were some ways away, but their torches shone like a beacon, signaling a gathering of great numbers. They must be a thousand strong, said Shiva, as he paused to watch the undead army make the way across the fields. It was then that he could see the great fires of Malhorn Peak burning in the distance. I did not see so many in the forest, answered Pharaoh, his mouth tight with distraught. Even the guild will have difficulty fighting off such a host. Alas, cried Vantamir suddenly, they know not what comes. We came across their men slain deep in the woods, and I know now what slew them, for it was an evil creature twisted from bone and beast. At once he unslung his horn from his side and pressed it to his lips, blowing a mighty call with all his breath. Yet despite the night's blow, not a sound was made, and Shiva eyed the horn with renewed interest. Behind him he could feel Pharaoh laughing. Blood and ash, the man cried. The horn's ruined. Must be cracked near the mouthpiece. Shiva shook his head. No, the horn is fine. It sent forth a different warning. One that cannot be heard by enemies or foes. He is right, added Vantamir. This horn has been enchanted to warn only those practiced in the magical arts. Hopefully it will be overlooked by our enemies. The dark peaks are near, Shiva said, running his hand along the neck of a stallion. He could feel the sweat dripping down with every labored breath. The path appears open, he began as he pushed his horse forward for the final stretch. But be wary, lest we be trapped by our own respite. Raising his horn to his lips, Sir Vantamir let out another blast before charging after Shiva. To their left, they continued to watch as rows of hollows emptied out from the forest into the fields like a trail of trickling fireflies, spreading their flames to anything that would burn, and marching to the beat of an unheard drum. Chapter 20 Atop the gates of Malhorn Peak, battlements streamed the guild's banners. A single wizard amidst a great stone hall with a staff outstretched before him. In the distance, the enchanted horn continued its warning, growing closer now as the night deepened. The main courtyard was nearly empty, as many of the villagers had been let inside so that the guild could move about the surface unhindered. Torches burned all about the fortress as Lennox strode towards the iron gates. Perhaps it was his armor, which burned like embers beneath the passing flames, 
or perhaps it had been that when he had first arrived, he had come in the company of Princess Maeve. Either way, the Golden Knight moved freely about the grounds, with no resistance from the guild. Astrid had come as well, and together they passed under the inner gate of the bridge towards the front tower. As he crested the stairs, he could see the forest take shape, its dark shadows layered in arches and deep curves. Already, fires could be seen in the distance, marching through the fields in many lines. The sky was utterly black, and the stillness of the air portended violence. Soon all of the fields would burn, throwing plums of black smoke up into the night sky like dragon's breath, and casting deep shadows all about the land. Lennox found Sir Mikkel standing with one leg set atop the merlone, motionless as a gargoyle, gazing out upon the field. Despite not being a wizard, the grim knight had command of the wall. His fists were covered in black gauntlets, and he stood both fierce and strong, leading the men of the gate. He turned, catching a glimpse of Lennox's armor shimmering beneath the torches. Oh, it is you. His eyes flickered to Astrid. And the girl also. He waved them forward that they might stand beside him. Why have you come? I cannot let you out now that the gates have been barred. We have no desire to leave, answered Lennox. We've come at the request of Princess Maeve to inquire as to the whereabouts of Pharaoh. Surely he must have returned by now, said Astrid. Yet we have seen no sign of him. The grim knight examined the pair, then shook his head. None have passed through the gates since your arrival. I'm sorry you had to come all this way for such ill news. I see said Lennox with a nod. The princess will be informed. Having carried out Mav's request, he cast an eye towards the distant fires and turned to leave. Soon the gates of Malhorn Peak would not be safe, and he was more than willing to retreat deeper into the fortress. He had hardly turned his back when another blast from the horn bellowed out. This time the call sounded close indeed. Suddenly the darkness was seared by a striking flash, Dispersed lightning smote down upon the earth near the main path, and for a staring moment all the watchers upon the gates and all the walls of Malhorn Peak saw at last the open field, boiling and overflowing with the undead. A thousand men they numbered at least, cursed and lost, armored with an array of weapons and shields, all of which failed them in life, now used in death. As quickly as it had come, the flash faded leaving the guards to whisper in fear as to what they had just witnessed. Why do they come? Some said. There are too many, whispered others. Even Mikhail issued a curse beneath his breath, unheard by all save Lennox. The Golden Knight was glad the townfolk had been ushered inside, else their fears turned to chaos. Yet while Sir Mikhail and the guards had been lost in the grandeur of the approaching host, only Astrid had seen the pair of horses riding before the vanguard, accompanied by a great beast whose howl echoed in unison with the horn. Merrick, she said to herself, and looked out once more where she had seen the company, but they were too far, and the darkness complete. Abruptly, another blast from the horn went out, and this time the howling cry of Merrick came clear with it. Merrick, she cried out. Merrick. Lennox paced forward so that he stood beside Astrid and looked out onto the road. There, she said, pointing out. Riders approach. 
came a call from one of the guards as the second flash filled the air. This time, Lennox could see it all. Great burning fields that cast out a billowing canopy of ash, hiding the stars from sight and shining with dazzling light along the edges. And before them all raced the riders. A pair of men from what he could see, though one looked rather large, and a great beast ran beside them. They were trailed by hollows, but the undead were far behind, and the riders swift. Yet even as they approached, the gates remained closed. The gate! Astrid shouted. Open the gate! With fists clenched, Mikkel rose up. The gate stays closed. The enemy is upon us. But they are our friends, and there is time. I cannot go beyond my orders, was his reply. The riders were drawing near now, so that it was clear they numbered three, with two men sharing a steed. One of the men, a knight set in silver armor, was unknown to Lennox, but he knew the others well. He turned to address Mikkel. Good sir, he began. These are indeed our friends, and I can see Pharaoh is among them. Lady Maeve ordered you to let him pass without reproach. There is still time. If we are quick, they will pass through unhindered, but we must hurry. He spoke calmly to the knight, but his eyes were stern and unafraid, and in his voice was a subtle power that swayed all who heard it. Very well, answered the knight after a slight pause. He turned to the guards. Open the gates, but be prepared to close them once the riders have passed. At once the gates lurched open, pushing outward slowly until the smallest of gaps was revealed. Astrid looked towards Lennox in recognition and gratitude before running past him towards the steps. As Astrid descended, the riders drew near, pushing their horses hard and riding with all their speed. Lennox stood alone now, gazing south towards the undead, then down once more towards the riders. At last he too descended, and watched as the riders passed through the gate. At the sight of her great wolf, Astrid's face lighted with joy. She rushed forward, throwing her arms around the beast's neck, as Merrick pushed back upon her in reply. Besides the pair sat Shiva, cold and unfazed by the passing events. He unhorsed, leaving Pharaoh resting in his seat and set his eyes upon Lennox. A small smile touched his lips. Lennox found himself twisting at his Oathkeeper ring as the warden approached. At last we are together again, he thought. Did Shiva know this whole time? Had his mistress told him what hardships our journey would take? Lennox doubted it, but he would get no true answer from the warden. Well, you're alive, he finally said. The warden nodded. It is not our time. Looking past Shiva towards the gate, Lennox stepped close, keeping his voice low as he spoke. No, but it will be soon for all who stay. An army marches upon this castle, and I see no way of escape. Perhaps your mistress spoke to you about this. If yes, then now is the time to speak of it. Ha! You have guessed much, Sir Knight, and rightly so. What then is your plan? He placed his hand upon Lennox's shoulder, keeping his voice low as he spoke. There is a dock at the base of this castle, a secret known to few. It is from there we shall depart, but first we must find the prince. I tried to reach him, 
but he is deep in the castle taking his exams, and I was not granted access. Surely the state has changed, answered Shiva. A darkness comes, and now is not the time for tests. I will find him by force if I must, and see him to the docks. The lady must have you three, or I feel it will be for naught. Then move quick. The cursed will be here soon, and the gates will not hold against such numbers. I will stay to save them off for as long as I can muster. When I can hold the gate no longer, I will retreat to the docks. This castle is full of illusions. It may be difficult to find. Lennox smiled, shaking his head softly. You misjudged me, warden. I will not be kept at bay by simple tricks. Now go, quickly, and take with you this man. He serves Princess Maeve, and may be able to help you find your young prince. The warden nodded. I will, he answered, and turned his attention towards Pharaoh. Lennox continued. Astrid, go with Shiva, and take Pharaoh with you. Make sure they reach the princess quickly. And what of you? I will stay here and fight for a time, but I will find you again, I promise. Merrick looked upon the knight then, his eyes a cool yellow that understood much but gave nothing in return. Lennox looked upon the beast for a time. The fact that Zev was not there did not escape him. Watch her, he said. Keep her safe until we are reunited. After measuring the night, the beast nodded slowly, then turned back towards the girl and remained silent. Sir Vantamir, Shiva said as he returned to his horse, taking his time to mount, this time with the wounded pharaoh sitting before him. The silver knight waited for the warden to continue. I ask you stay with Lennox. Whatever future Lady Soon has seen for this world, this man stands at the heart of it. Accompany him while I inform the council of our findings. Very well, he replied, after considering the warden's words. I will do as you ask. My orders were to escort you to Malhorn Peak. I have done so, fulfilling my master's wishes. But I believe he would have me do more, though I do not hear his voice. The silver knight dismounted then, and offered Astrid a hand as she took her place upon his horse. Thank you, she said quietly. He bowed in reply. Be cautious. There is more than just hollows marching upon the gate. Then, with a short nod, Shiva turned his horse and was off, followed closely by the others. Both Lennox and Vantamir watched as the gray wolf disappeared, passing beneath the inner gate and out of sight. You serve Lord Magnus, Lennox said, turning towards the knight. I do. And you would die for him? I would. Well, you might just get your chance tonight. A terrible pity, but I've been wrong before. Passing beneath the inner gates, the torches went dim for a moment, so that little light indeed could be seen even by Shiva's keen eyes. Once through, the path opened into an inner courtyard. The main keep lay ahead, but on either side stood strong walls, well fortified and angled so that the defenders could rain arrows and fire upon any who should make it across the bridge. 
Shiva had seen the castle once before, from a great distance, but never had he stepped inside its walls. Lady Soon had told him its secrets, though, and he looked about the high towers with a quiet gaze, his face like stone, measuring the strength of the walls and men who stood upon them. He knew what was coming. How long would the castle hold? He pulled his cloak close, masking his face. No one seems to be paying us any mind, thought Astrid. She watched as a line of guards, each carrying a staff and lightly armored in blue and gold, marched past on the way to the bridge. A few of them eyed Merrick, but they left the wolf alone. He was a beast, yes, but not wild. His eyes spoke the truth. Astrid rode up beside Shiva and leaned close. The High Council went to the upper battlements so that they could oversee the oncoming siege. Princess Maeve will be with them. She will be our best hope at reaching her brother. Oscar, Pharaoh repeated, letting the name linger in the following silence. You came all the way out to the guild to speak with Oscar? The gruff man laughed then, shaking his head slightly with a pleased grin upon his face. Does Maeve know this? Astrid turned her eyes to Pharaoh. The wounded man did not appear as injured as he had upon first entering the gate. At last she answered him with a brisk nod. She does. Ha! <laughs> Ten hells. Confused, Astrid waited for the man to continue. When he did not, she asked, What's wrong? It looks like I'm out a week's wages. You took bets on the nature of our business? Aye, he said with a nod. And I lost. She won't let me forget it any time soon. For some odd reason, Astrid thought the man didn't seem all that upset. They reached the stable and dismounted, handing their horses off to the same boy as before. She passed him another coin and he took it, though his mood had dampened and he did not smile. With a sigh, she turned and left, following after Pharaoh as he led them out. Where are we going? she asked when she saw that they were making their way behind the stables to the west. My legs hurt bad, Pharaoh answered. I don't think I could make it up all those stairs. He offered no further explanation and took them around the stable grounds to a small side gate that stood open with a single guard standing post. The guard seemed wary at first, but listened quietly as Pharaoh spoke. He shook his head, eyeing the wolf cautiously. Not the beast. I cannot let him pass. The beast comes too, Pharaoh replied. Or will you explain to Din Karuni why her guests were not allowed passage at her request? Hesitation followed. A quick flash of fear and doubt crossed before him as the guard eyed Merrick once more. He let out a defeated breath as he moved to the side, letting the company through. Astrid ran her hand along Merrick's back as they walked through together. A small passage lay before them then, cut out from the stones of Malhorn Peak. It was wide but not tall, though they could walk through without crouching. Astrid noticed that slits were cut out from the walls deep enough for men to stand guard, and indeed they passed by several of them before she noticed there were any in fact, standing in the darkness. They did not speak but stood silent, watching as the company marched through. Astrid felt as though they were the true guards of the pass, more so than the single man posted at the gate. 
the path went straight for a time before opening up to a vast and sweeping hall that appeared more like an open cavern to some murky cave than to a tower that was part of a great castle. A large iron lift was before them, level to the ground with another pair of guards standing on either side, one carrying a staff, the other a sword. Pharaoh passed them without a word, and together the company stepped onto the lift. There was a lever fastened to the ground in the corner. Shiva looked at it but said nothing. He watched as Pharaoh took it firmly in his grasp. This can be unnerving for some, he said, then pushed the lever forward. The floor lurched upward, a quick, disheveled jump as the iron links began to pull at them from above, lifting them upwards and pushing them towards the unseen top. This is a very long shoot, thought Astrid, as she watched row after row of torches pass before her. At last they came to a stop, and when they stepped off she looked quickly upwards, but still saw no sign of the cavern ceiling. Another set of guards awaited them, and standing between them was Master Royce. The guild master was a thin man, with high cheekbones that were common in the land. He had dark hair and clear, tilted brown eyes that made him seem both wise and knowledgeable. He watched Astrid and the others calmly, and seemed almost amused at the party. Ah, Pharaoh, he began. Din Crooney will be most pleased to see you are well. Pharaoh smirked, letting out a little laugh as he stepped out. Master Royce turned his attention toward the rest of his companions, eyeing them one after the other as they emerged, paying special attention to Shiva and his large satchel that hung upon his back. And you must be Shiva of Kataron. I have been expecting you for some time now. Master Royce, he said, bowing slightly, it is good to meet you at long last. Yes, well, I wish you had arrived sooner. Now your fates are blurred to me, and I cannot guarantee you will escape without harm. Our journey here was hindered greatly when we ran afoul a group of hollows massing in the frozen woods. Even now they are gathered near the icy lakes, with numbers greater than what now sets siege. How many? Several thousand at least, and more linger in the deep. They have overthrown the thieves' guild, though some survived. How unfortunate. The master made his way onto the lift, and reached out towards the lever. He looked up towards Pharaoh as he did. Keep her safe. The grim man nodded once. He was not smiling anymore. Master Royce turned to Shiva. You'll find Master Eladin and Din Kruni just beyond the Great Hall. He is expecting you. Tell him what wickedness comes. And where are you heading off to at such a time? Asked Pharaoh. I go now to prepare the way. There was sadness in his voice as he spoke. Looking once more upon the party, he pulled the lever and descended into the abyss. They walked in a group, yet it was Pharaoh who led them, hobbling through the dim passages of the upper floors. Though empty at first, soon the corridors bustled with people of all sorts. Mostly they were wizards of the guild, but there were servants too, and knights, different than ones Astrid had been accustomed to. They wore robes similar to the guild, but had neither staff nor wand, and many of them wore two swords, one at their hip 
and a second shorter blade upon their back. All about the halls there was an air of alertness, and while no one stopped them as they passed, Astrid found herself growing nervous beside Merrick. We shouldn't be here, she thought, running her hand along the wolf's neck. She glanced towards the warden, yet Shiva moved with a quiet calm, unconcerned with their surroundings. She had seen it before in their travels. It was as though the worries of the world could not touch him, like a shield was set before him, and with it he was immortal. The warden stood tall, his back straight and shoulders square, yet somehow he looked relaxed, almost arrogantly, as he sauntered through the halls. He turned, catching Astrid's eye. I do not think your wolf likes this place. He is a creature of the forest. He doesn't like any place that isn't open and free. Shiva eyed Merrick and looked forward, his eyes ever watchful, taking in the men in the stones of the great hall. The guards at the entrance of the upper court peered up calmly as they approached. One sat behind a long slanted table, looking over a ledger and sometimes making a mark as he went along. The other stood opposite the arched doorway, and while the door stood open, it was clear that not all could pass. Astrid's stomach churned as they examined Merrick. They'll stop him for sure, she thought. Yet more than ever, she did not wish to part with the beast. One of the guards, a tall, dark-eyed man, held out his palm for them to halt. His eyes flickered towards the wolf, and his mouth tightened, but he did not speak of Merrick. All about them, the people stopped what they were doing to watch, still and intent. It is well to see you alive, Pharaoh, said the guard, giving the gruff man a slight nod. Once again, his eyes flickered to the wolf. Master Royce said you would be arriving shortly, but said nothing of your companions. Pharaoh laughed. Well, it must have slipped his mind. I assure you, they are expected. The guard eyed the beast one final time, then motioned them to follow him through the archway. Inside, the presence did not go unnoticed. It appeared to Astrid that Pharaoh was known to many of the guild, and was not well liked from what she could tell. The glances quickly fell away from the weathered bodyguard to Merrick. Wolves were not a common sight outside the forest, and the beast caused more than one raised eyebrow, but none of the guild spoke their displeasure, at least not openly and a few were not displeased, but looked upon the group in wonder and curiosity. Soft murmurs rose behind them, too low for Astrid to make out. Shiva strode alone, unconcerned and uncaring. As they reached the entrance to the outer battlements, three more men stood guard outside the door. The tallest of the three, a man named Keel, held in his hand a silver flame staff, and watched as they approached. A strong, smooth face he had, with clever eyes. He studied the group, looking each of them over in turn with a smile. What have you brought with you this time, Maro? He turned his eyes upon the young guard who had escorted them. Din Kroonie's pet, a Kateron warden, and a northerner and her pup. His tone turned harsh then. Why have you brought them here? The High Council sits at war, and you bring forth vagrants and vagabonds. Master Royce told me to escort Pharaoh to Master Aladdin upon his arrival. I was told nothing of this. It matters not, answered Maro, stepping forward so that he stood before the others. I was told, and now I will deliver them 
unless you question my word. I question everyone's word, answered Keel. That is my duty. His eyes went once more towards Pharaoh and the others, and slowly his smile returned. As it is, I believe you. You are free to enter. Stepping to his side, Keel drew back his staff and waved his hand towards the door. It swung open noiselessly, and he watched as Mero vanished through to announce their arrival. The young guard returned quickly, gesturing for them to enter. Yes, a pup you say, Pharaoh said, patting Keel on the shoulder as he passed. Go ahead and pet him if you like, and see how well he plays at your hand. Keel blinked, and his smile faded to a sneer, but he kept quiet. He looked at Astrid next, but the girl did not retreat. She returned his stare coolly until she passed, walking beside Merrick at a calm pace. Through all of this, Shiva showed indifference. Merrick as well. It was a trait they seemed to share. The door swung shut behind them, but not before the sounds of war reached them. Yells and screams, both fierce and strong, and the battle cries of men. In silence, they pressed on. Ahead of them stood Master Elodin, looking out with his hands set upon a white rail of marble. Lady Maeve was beside him, and together they stood with their backs to the door, watching as the undead hordes made siege upon the front gate. As Astrid strode forth, the battle below took shape. The lines of marching fires had collided, funneling together into a large host that met before the outer gate. Arrows and fire streamed forth upon the dead, filling the ground with corpses that should have rested long ago. Do you see them burning? said Master Elodin aloud. Do you see how they fall one after another? Yet through all of this, the dead stay silent. At once, Astrid saw that it was true, and an eerie shiver ran down her spine. The advancing horde had been thrown back, and was just now regrouping to attack once more. Yet in all of their form, the enemy was silent. It was the living who cheered and cried out, the men upon the walls, the wizards and knights defending the gate. She thought of Lennox, and hoped he was well amongst the chaos. The dead do not speak once the curse has fallen, answered Shiva. Elodin turned. He looked towards the warden, past all that stood upon the surface, and gazed deep into his soul. He looked away, back upon the army, his face heavy with concern. It was Maeve who spoke next. He means how are they organizing like this? Who is leading them? It was then that Astrid noticed Pharaoh stooped over upon one knee. Maeve had her hands upon his leg, and a soft glow came forth. When she was finished, Pharaoh stood up, and upon his face was peace as his wounds mended and disappeared. Maeve continued, We have watched closely as the army drew near, and now as they clash upon our walls. Yet no sign of a captain can be seen, no sign of a leader or commander, someone with whom we can strike back at. There is a greater force at play here, Shiva said. You must know this is only the beginning. Twice what we see now stand dormant before the frozen lakes, just past the edge of the woods. This is an army gathered for one purpose. Elodin watched the army surge forward against the gate. There they met iron and stone, and death consumed them from above. 
they dispersed quickly, falling away once more as a cheer went up from atop the wall. They have a captain, Pharaoh said at last, looking first to Maeve, then past her to Master Elidin. I saw him marching from a distance along the quenched river. A knight, not like the hollows below, but strong, and set in armor that shines red and gold despite the darkness of the woods. Even as he spoke there came a beating drum, and far past the gate out of the forest a shape emerged, an engine pushed forth by great beasts. What witchcraft is this? said Pharaoh turning, yet his words went unheard as a blare of trumpets came from the inner gate. A great scream followed as men turned from the bridge and shot their arrows down into the abyss. The arrows increased and the trumpets called once more when out of the darkness crawled a monster bearing the shape of a man. The creature was large, standing with a hunch and black oily skin. He bore upon his head a helm of bone shaped like the skull of a goat, with cracks splintering out from the teeth and eyes pitchless and empty. A beast of the dark moon, Shiva said at once. Where is he going? cried Astrid. The beast rose quickly, moving away from the bridge through the inner court. He makes for the castle, answered Maeve. He must be stopped, Elidin replied with a soft voice. And so he shall. Master Raelin is below, and others too. They will see to the creature's fall. If the enemy can scale the cliffs, then we must set men about the castle to make watch. The bridge is all that matters, answered Elidin. If we hold the bridge, then any who scale the cliffs can be hunted down. Yet even as he spoke, two more beasts emerged, similar to the first, and carrying in their hands great axes. The arrows flew, felling one of the monsters. A great roar echoed forth as he fell back into the dark waters below. The second beast endured and charged through the courtyard to join the first. Together, they swung their axes against the castle door until at last it gave way, and the beast disappeared, and screams rose out from below. I will not have this, cried Maeve. Pharaoh, come! And with that Maeve departed, and with her Pharaoh. Both Astrid and Merrick watched the pair as they left. She looked next to Shiva and almost fell back in shock. There was no doubt about it. The warden was smiling as he looked upon Master Aladdin. Maeve was well gone when Shiva finally spoke. Well, you must be pleased. She seems rather wild to me. Difficult to control. Aladdin looked amused. Still, Shiva continued, better to send her away where chance might still save her. Not chance, warden. You will save her, and her brother. I have put my faith in Master Royce. He is a seer. He sees some, but nothing like Lord Magnus far away in his tower. Or even like your oracle you so willingly serve. Is there no hope then for this fight? Astrid said, speaking up. There was much she didn't understand, yet she knew the siege upon Malhorn Peak was grim. Elidin looked upon her then with gentle eyes and said, I do not know, 
but there are still many people here inside these stone walls, and I will keep them safe if I can. His face was serene, smooth and soft, and his eyes did not blink. Please watch over Prince Oscar. He is loyal, almost to a fault, and can be naive, especially if his sister is about. Astrid found herself nodding yes. As best we can, she said. Shiva bowed then, resting his left hand upon his hilt and twisting the sword behind him. By your leave, Master Elodin, may we depart. Go, he answered, and do not fail in your endeavor. Straightening, Shiva gestured for Astrid to follow. We will succeed, he answered. It has been foreseen. There was a long silence as Aladdin watched them go, before once again the trumpets blared behind him and the sounds of war called. Maeve and Pharaoh stood before the empty shaft, watching the lift rise before them when Shiva and the others appeared. Far behind them, Astrid could hear the trumpets call. Curse those foul creatures, she thought, picturing the dark-skinned beast once again in her mind. It made her hands go cold thinking about them. I'm glad you could join us, Pharaoh said, a small grin touching at his lips. His fingers tapped lightly on the pommel of his blade, and restlessness was upon him. Shiva walked past them, stepping onto the iron lift. We came here for a purpose. That has not changed. He looked to Maeve, his eyes cold and calculating. The castle will not hold. You must take us to your brother at once. And what of all the people taking refuge in these halls? She asked. Am I to abandon them to slaughter? Die with them if you wish. But first take me to your brother. At least then one of you will survive. My brother is safe enough, deep below in the lower quarters. Is he? Shiva was not convinced. Your masters seem to know the truth. Why is it you cannot see it? Elodin is a stubborn fool, but he still fights. He fights now so that we can get away, Shiva said. You as well, and whoever you can bring with us. What do you mean? She asked. Shiva shook his head, his eyes unrepentant as he reached for the lever. Again the trumpet sounded. Astrid and Merrick joined Shiva upon the lift and turned, their eyes set upon the princess. It was Pharaoh who pushed her on. Placing his hand gently upon her shoulder, he stepped forward. Skip the first floor. Prince Oscar will be in the lower corridor. He was speaking to Shiva. Without a word, Shiva pressed the lever forward and the lift descended, dropping down into the depths as all the torches went dark around them. In an instant, the beast was upon them, crashing down from above like a shadow of hate. Merrick was the first to act. His eyes burned as he leapt upon the beast. It cried out, but the creature seemed more annoyed than truly hurt as he swiped the wolf away. Merrick fell to the floor in a dull thud. Pharaoh was next. His sword flashed silver in the dark, but stopped before reaching its mark caught in the palm of the monster. The beast sneered and pulled the blade away, before suddenly screaming out, 
this time in true pain before falling to its knees. Shiva drew his blade from the creature's back and swung it in a low arc, sweeping the head clean off the shoulders. The beast fell headless onto the lift, its blood slowly spreading across the floor beneath him. A light burst forth then from the tip of Maeve's wand. Astrid could feel little heat, but the light it cast was great, reaching high into the shaft above them and revealing the dead beast that lay slain at their feet. Her eyes were wide with shock, yet she stood calmly, taking long breaths that echoed in the silence of the space. It is one of those beasts, cried Astrid. Her blade was drawn as she looked down upon the fallen corpse. Merrick was rising from where he fell, and made his way towards the creature with teeth bared. Shiva eyed Merrick, and while no one could see it, he was pleased with the wolf. There will be more of them, the warden began. Even if the gate should fall, the cliffs of Malhorn Peak have been breached. Suddenly the lift came to a halt, hitting the stone earth of the lower corridor. The stop came so abruptly that Astrid nearly fell and reached out to secure herself upon the railing. They were at the end of a narrow hallway lined with torches that hung extinguished upon the walls. The last remaining embers burned hazily in the dark. We must press on, Shiva said, stepping over the fallen corpse and out into the darkness. Without a word, Astrid followed. Merrick too. Pharaoh and Maeve were last. She held her wand low, looking down at the bone helm of the beast until at last it was behind her. They had hardly moved before Shiva signaled them to stop. Ahead of them, shining on the curved stone wall, glimpses of light could be seen washing upon the surface like waves. Red and white light, then flashes of orange, then nothing. Strong magic, Pharaoh said aloud. None responded, and at last Shiva continued turning the corner and continuing down the hall towards the large doorway. Loud cries could be heard then, both of death and magic. Spells of incantations echoed along the stones, followed by more light. The battle has reached even the depths of the castle, Astrid said, but before she finished speaking, Maeve was off, wand raised as she sprinted forward. She appeared as a shadow cat in white, the outline of her protector running beside her. Hmm, said Shiva, removing his blade from its sheath. It appears we will not pass unhindered. Come, and stay close to me. With a swift nod, Astrid followed. Merrick arched his head, crying out into the dark before plummeting forward into the unknown white. Chapter 21 The slot in Lennox's helm was narrow, limiting his vision to what lay directly before him. But as he turned his head, the armies of the undead swarmed like the sea, dark and black and silent. Thrice times they had stormed the gate, and thrice times they were thrown back. They knew no pain, they knew no fear, but an arrow to the chest still brought them down, the ones with little armor at least. The grounds before the gate were sodden and slick, a mix of mud and corpses. A few of the hollows still crawled about, 
moving towards the gate, following their duty even in their crippled state. Lennox watched as arrows descended upon them, and at last they were still. A slow time passed. Far in the fields the horde's fires burned, and the mass of undead gathered once again for another charge. And then the drums echoed, a slow rolling beat that boomed upon the gate as terrible as any foe. And out of the forest came a great terror, an engine of war set upon the wheels and pushed forth by mighty creatures, half a span in length and wrapped about by heavy chains. Its head was shaped like that of a great boar, and a helm of steel was upon it, and a great flame burned in its mouth. Soon, all the undead had formed around it as it crawled across the field, a black host growing deeper and stronger with every step. A thought came to Lennox then, and beneath his helm the golden knight smiled. If only the beast were alive, he mused. It would be a foe beyond desire for Shiva. The thought vanished and left only despair. Lennox felt at the Oathkeeper ring, twisting it about his finger. I should have stayed in my cell, he thought. Then he pushed the thought away. He would endure. It was all he knew. Sir Vantamir stood beside him, his hands resting upon his sword when the trumpets called out from behind. Together they turned and watched as dark creatures scaled the cliffs below. The men of the inner gate were shouting and firing arrows and gathering to meet them. Vantamir moved for the stairs but was stopped by Lennox. Leave them. We must do what we can here upon the gate. Already the giant boar was drawing near. Mikkel could be seen running the length of the wall, preparing the murder holes and giving strength to his men. This army, Vantamir said as he gazed out towards the great battering ram. My master must be told. A message must be sent. Already they have fooled the ravens and their like, and now the guild will fall. He spoke the words calmly, and all who heard knew they were true. The world must be warned. Quiet, Lennox urged, glancing towards the men of the gate. These men still live, as do you and I, and those who live have a duty to endure until our last breath has left us, and we leave this world for another. I have never doubted my duty, answered the knight, only my ability to accomplish what must be done. And what is that? said Lennox in a low voice. But the silver knight did not answer, for even as they spoke there came a blare of trumpets from behind, and the sky before them cracked with light. The horde opened up before them, clearing a path for the war machine that rolled forward with increasing speed. Brace the gate! Brace the gate! Mikkel screamed, but the beating of the enemy's drum and the horns of Malhorn Peak hid his voice so that none could hear it. Suddenly, a thought was upon Lennox. Come with me, he said, pointing to a group of guards. They hesitated only for a moment before following after. Quickly they made their descent, reaching the bridge and turning back towards the main gate. Stay here, he told them, and keep your bows drawn and staffs ready. From atop the battlements, Mikkel stiffened when he saw Lennox walking towards the gate, alone, with his hands out before him, chanting something he could not understand, while light pure as the sun formed about his hands. The light increased in strength until it consumed him, and none could look upon the night. Beyond the gate, the ram raced forward, 
shaking the very earth as Mikkel braced himself for what was to come. The giant boar struck the gate, and all the world shook. A thunderous noise followed, the twisting of metal and wood, of fire and magic, as though lightning itself were unleashed upon the gates of Malhorn Peak. When next he looked, the giant rams stood silent and unmoving, yet even then the hollows drew forth. Fire! Mikkel screamed. Do not let them pass! At once the guards went into action, casting spells and firing off arrows into any who would come within range. It was then that he looked inwards and saw that some had broken through. Drawing his sword, he leapt into the breach. Solier! he shouted as he fell upon the hollows below. He held his sword before him, slashing out at every foe he passed. Dimly, he heard a cheer go out from the wall as he pressed on, turning just as a spearman charged forth. Mikkel lopped off the edge of the hollow spear, then his head. A second ghoul came from the side, a large man wielding a two-handed greatsword who swung fiercely upon Mikkel again and again, pushing him back until a sword struck the hollow from behind. Gazing up, he found Sir Vantamir standing before him, drawing his blade from the fallen enemy, shining like a silver star in a field of black. Sir Lennox, Mikkel screamed over the roar of battle. Is he well? I have not seen him since the great boar struck, the knight responded. Come, and let us search for him quickly. And together they fought their way towards the gate. Sticking through the cracked wood and twisted metal lay the boar's head cracked and fallen, snapped at the base of its neck and brought down by the weight of its helm. Yet the beast had served its purpose, for the doors lay broken, with gaps set in both sides. The gate has fallen, Mikkel said. Why then do they retreat? I cannot say for certain, answered Vantamir, as he swept his gaze across the bridge. Most of the hollows lay slain, and those that still stood were falling even as they spoke. Yet the gate stood empty, and no more hollows could be seen trying to pass. Perhaps they were grouping for another strike, now that the gate has been breached. Then let us hurry, else we lose sight of our golden friend. It was then that the soft call of Sir Lennox could be heard through the din of battle. Here, here, he called out. The voice sounded so thin that Vantamir could scarcely hear it, let alone discern its location. Yet a flash of gold caught his eye just beside the gate, below the head of the fallen boar. There, he shouted. With Mikkel's help, they managed to lift the shattered debris, large, heavy pieces of wood that now lay in splinters all about the golden knight. Are you well? Vantamir asked as he lifted him to his feet. Lennox nodded slowly in reply, doing his best to gather his wits. Come, said Mikkel as he took Lennox's free arm across his shoulder. We must get him past the inner gate. Vantamir did not object, yet they were halfway across the bridge when the beating of the enemy's drum echoed once more. Boom, boom, boom. Slowly at first, but soon the pace quickened. Therefore, I mean outside the gate, a soldier called out just as lightning crashed upon the tower, crackling along the bridge like a blow from a mighty hammer. A great gust followed and all were thrown from their feet. Grunting beneath his helm, Lennox lifted his gaze. Inside his armor he could feel his heart race. There was a ringing in his ears, 
and all about him men of the guild picked themselves off the floor. Vantamir was the first to his feet, and quickly moved to help Lennox. We must hurry, the Silver Knight exclaimed, looking to Mikkel. With his eyes raised, the solemn knight shook his head slowly from side to side. I know an ending when it comes. I shall go to it. His dark eyes swept sadly back towards the gate. The men atop lay dead, and already the undead were beginning to crawl through the cracked and splintered wood, stripped bare by the warped iron coverings. He pushed himself to his feet, picking up his sword from the stone floor beneath him. Go, he cried. I shall hold them long enough for you to pass. Come with us, said Vantamir. Go now, answered the Dark Knight, as he turned and charged toward the enemy. For a moment, Vantamir stood almost in trance, watching as Mikael departed. When he turned, he found Lennox staring at him. Let us not waste what time he has given us, Lennox said sharply, finding his voice. We must move now. Vantamir nodded and helped Lennox towards the inner gate. Lennox could hear the clash of steel growing steadily behind him, and the final cry of Sir Mikkel pierced the air. He did not look back. They passed through the inner gate into a world of chaos. The heavy door swung closed behind them, yet all about them men on the walls were casting fire and shooting arrows as more black creatures scaled the cliffs of the castle. Where shall we go? asked Vantamir. A moment later, Lennox produced a small glass sphere, so pure it almost shined. This is the work of my master, Vantamir exclaimed. It was given to me by Lord Magnus. Then you hold a mighty gift, Lennox nodded in reply. It will show us the way. And almost as though in answer to his will, an image came upon the face of the sphere, showing the stables and a secret way behind them. Vantamir led them across the courtyard towards the hidden alleyway. They passed by a fallen guard into a narrow hall filled with the corpses of the black beasts, as well as men of the guild. A low smoke was in the air, swirling about their feet with each step, and the smell of fire was present all about them. The hall was empty of light, but the sphere glowed warm, lighting their way until they came upon an empty shaft. There, said Vantamir pointing towards the ladder to the side. Can you climb? Lennox nodded. I was only shaking a bit. I feel better, though for how long I cannot say. In truth, Lennox was not sure how he was able to move. He had exhausted much of his energy in his last spell, yet his strength had not failed him. It was a puzzle he would consider at a later time. They descended the ladder, Lennox first, with Sir Vansomir close behind. It was a long way down, and with the sphere set inside Lennox's pouch, they made the climb in the dark. At the bottom, they came upon another fallen creature, its head cut clear from its neck, with the pool of blood set in a shallow puddle upon the surface. Again they passed through a hall of black, its torches faded, as even the embers had gone cold, and all was quiet about them. They walked in stillness turning a corner until the dimmest of lights began to shine upon the walls before them. Still they walked on, the gentle rustling of their armor floating through the air. Soon the path opened before them, and they found themselves in an open hall similar to a large auditorium with rows of seats that sloped downward 
until stopping at the base of a stage. A single light shone upon the platform, burning like a candle, but stronger because of the darkness that had fallen. Who goes there? A voice called out from below as the light swung about, piercing the dark similarly to the lantern Astrid carried in Lahalian. Reveal yourselves to me, the voice cried out again. With his hand raised before his eyes, Lennox answered, I am Sir Lennox, and besides me is Sir Ventimir, servant of Lord Magnus. We've come in search of our companions. At once the light diminished, and the form of a man emerged, a wizard, one of the guild. He lowered his wand and turned his back towards the stage, dropping to one knee. As Lennox and Vantamir descended, they couldn't help but witness the bodies that lay strewn about like discarded dolls. Ripped and torn and bleeding, the smell of smoke had dissipated, only to be replaced by the pungent odor of death and blood. Most of the corpses were of the guild, Lennox observed, young wizards and knights who lay cold and unmoving in the dark chamber. They had not fared well against the dark moon's abominations. Yet one endured. Perhaps others did as well. It was only when they reached the stage that Lennox recognized who it was. Well, this is a surprise. I didn't expect to run across you here, Master Raylan. But the wizard did not stir, and it was then that Lennox saw Master Royce lying still at the feet of Master Raylan, his face peaceful in death. Lennox glanced over his shoulder. Vantamir was watching them both. Master Raylan turned back around sullenly. You survived the siege upon the gate. Very impressive. I know what your intentions are. Prince Oscar's safety is our main concern, replied Lennox. We mean to help in his escape, if there is yet time. Hmm, you want so much more than that. But do not fret. I have seen the enemy which has eluded us so fiercely, and now offer my aid, late though it may be. The task before you will almost surely bring about your death, though if you can rescue Oscar and go with him to Lady Soon, and learn from her what you can, the silent city may prove surmountable. A change had come over Master Raylan, so subtle and yet so profound that Lennox could hardly see it at first. Are you a seer? He asked at last. Master Raylan shook his head. <laughs> no, though Master Royce spoke of what he saw, and I am not so proud that I would not listen. Yet it mattered not in the end. The guild has fallen, and even now the dark creatures dive deeper in search for our sacred relic. Mark my words, they will not escape with it alive. It was Master Royce's last vision, and one of great doom. He lifted his wand and shone a light upon a far wall to the east. There is a secret way hidden behind that wall. Din Kruni has taken all she could down the passage. If you are quick, you can reclaim them. What of you? asked Vantamir. I am charged with protecting our sacred relic. I must go and see that it does not fall into the hands of the Dark Moon, though it is the one he serves which I truly fear. You know of whom I speak. 
So be it, answered Lennox. Farewell, Master Raylan. Farewell, Sir Knight. May Elion's blessing follow you into the depths. Sir Vansomir bowed quickly towards the master and turned to follow after Lennox. The light of Master Raylan dwindled behind them as they reached the eastern wall. A large crack ran along the corner, and the entire structure shifted like a door when Lennox pushed upon it. Behind was a spiraling staircase that descended downward, lit by a string of torches still holding their flame. Vantamir closed the way behind them, leaving no sign for any to follow. Down they went, deeper and deeper into the depths of Malhorn Peak, when all at once the floor opened out beneath them, and they found themselves plunging down along a staircase of iron that dangled from the top of the cavern like string. From their height they could see all about them, though a heavy mist hovered about the surface of the water and crept in along the sand like a ghost. A dock, Vantamir shouted. I see it, Lennox called back. Below them, the sandy beach extended out into the open sea where a great vessel stood anchored to a long dock that cut into the ocean. They're dropping the sails, Lennox shouted. We must hurry. If we do not make the boat, I fear it will be the end of us. Yet even as they descended, the mist below ushered forth, rising up as though called by some unseen force, until Lennox could see nothing but thick bellows of white as he stepped down upon the sand. Behind him, Lennox could hear Sir Vantamir drawing his blade. This fog is unnatural, said the Silver Knight. I do not trust it. Nor should you, Lennox replied, clutching tightly at his own sword as he held out his crystal sphere. Though, there is only one path we can take, so forward we shall go. Together, they sped into the unknown, but as he ran, Lennox stumbled in weariness. It was then that the brazen knight appeared, standing in the mists, adorned by red sapphires that ran along the length of his sword. In his left hand was a great shield, and his helm was shaped like that of a lion. A deep groan shuddered out from Sir Lennox. Who is he? Vantamir asked. A foe of great strength, he replied, crouching low, feeling the first wobble of his weakening legs. Blood and ash, he thought, that my legs should fail me at such a time. All about them, black figures began to take shape in the mists, while before Lennox the brazen lion strode forth, Yet it was Sir Vantamir who charged forward to meet them. The Silver Knight was swift, sprinting towards the Brazen Knight. Lennox was about to follow when the black shapes cleared the mist, falling upon him. His sword lashed out, cutting and slashing, striking down the foul beasts with every stroke. It was there in the mist that time seemed to blur. Past and future vanished, and there was nothing before Lennox but another foe to be struck down, and another, and another. I will endure, he cried, his sword flashing, his golden armor ablaze in the mists. So horrible he appeared that soon the foul creatures were reluctant to come forth. He was tired, and sweat rolled beneath his helm and before his eyes, yet he fought on. He took a blow to the leg but hardly felt it, though he knew his body would soon waver. 
It was then that he saw a light burning through the fog. A single lantern hoisted atop the mass, signaling the way. I'm close, he thought. So very close. Phantomir, he cried, hoping his voice could be heard, for he had lost the silver knight to the fog. To the ship, the ship. He made his way toward the dock. The mist about the sea dispersed. He moved his head right to left and back again, but saw no sign of Sir Vantamir. An arrow flew past him from the ship, striking at another monster that stirred beside him. What a fool I've become, standing idle at such a time. He ushered himself forth, sprinting clear the cloudy beach onto the pier, and saw for the first time the vessel, unhindered by the mist and fog. A single man stood atop the dock, untying the last of the ship's anchors, and tossing the line over the rails before vaulting in after. Shouts rose all over the boat, and feet pounded along the deck when Lennox was spotted emerging through the mist. Though he could not hear them, they were calling to him, waving for him to hurry, shouting for him to run. He almost laughed, then tightened the grip on his sword as he reached the end of the pier and leapt across the widening gap. He had just enough time to see a young wizard rising from the deck when his feet came down atop the youth. The boy cried out, Lennox toppled, and together they rolled out across the deck. The youth appeared to get the brunt of the fall, for Lennox was quickly to his feet, his hands resting upon the rails as he searched the shore for Sir Vantamir. Don't push off. Another still comes, he cried, but his voice was one amongst many, and his words went unheard. Men were everywhere atop the boat, more so than Lennox first realized. Mostly wizards of the guild, but there were a few knights as well. Surprisingly, a hand grasped tightly at his shoulder, spinning him about. Lennox, exclaimed Astrid, with hope and joy in her eyes. You are well. He allowed himself a small smile before grabbing at her wrist gently. Now is not the time, my lady. Sir Vantamir still resides upon the shore. We must not push off. Yet even as they spoke, the boat drifted further from the pier, and the gap of black water between the vessel and the dock was widening quickly. I will tell Lady Maeve at once, she said turning to leave, when suddenly the ship lurched forward. Loose boom, cried a voice, just as a large wooden beam swung out from the shadows catching one of the wizards in the chest with a crunch of breaking bones, sweeping him over the side. More shouts and screams followed as man ran to the rails to attempt a rescue, but the heavy ropes were thick and dark, and the wizard was gone before any of them could reach him. Turning once more towards the shore, Lennox clutched at the rail, his hands gripping the wood fiercely as he scanned the mist. There was little time he knew, perhaps none at all, but he would try nonetheless. Reaching out his palm, he whispered a spell, an old incantation, changing it slightly to serve his purpose. Soon a ball of light began to form, so small and pure and white, it mirrored the moon. But as he continued to speak, it shined brighter and brighter, until many on the ship couldn't help but notice what great magic the Golden Knight was taking part in. The ball of light grew until all eyes were upon him, and watched as he hurled the ball high into the air so that it hung like the sun over the end of the pier. All of the boats stood in silence, some watching the light and others the night. Yet Lennox looked only to the shore, 
searching for any signs of Cervantemir. There, he shouted, but found all strength had left him. He fell to one knee, clutching at the rail as Cervantemir appeared upon the beach, illuminated by the bright light. He was hurt, favoring his right side, and all about him was the enemy, their dark forms smudges amidst the surrounding white. His blade lashed out, silver and blue, and the beasts fell one after another. It was then that Lennox felt himself being hoisted up. He turned, and seeing that it was Shiva, pointed once more towards the shore. The warden saw the silver knight and drew his bow at once, firing arrow after arrow towards the shore. The boat drifted further out to sea, and Shiva's arrows flew further and further across the water, missing their mark more often than striking true. He was calling out the warden, but what he was saying Lennox could not tell. I will not succumb to weakness, Lennox told himself. Once was quite enough. And so it was. Half conscious and tired beyond measure, he watched as Cervantemir grew smaller and smaller, fading into the distance, until at last the brazen knight appeared walking towards him from behind. It was in that moment that the ship burst forth from the cove, out into the midnight sky, and a heavy mist fell upon the vessel, blocking all from sight and view as the last remnants of silver faded from the shore. For some time, Lennox sat alone, his golden helm at his side, his back resting against the mast of the ship. Shiva had left him there before leaving to join the others, promising he would return shortly. Merrick was near as well, recoiling just below the decks, though Lennox did not know it. They had cleared the cove and most of the surrounding reef, but the waves were fierce and tall, and the men aboard the ship were poor sailors with only a few among them truly knowing how to handle the vessel. Lady Maeve was one of them, standing before the helm, calling out in a commanding voice. Astrid was there as well, running about the ship, tying off ropes along with Shiva. Many of the wizards just stood about near the back, trying not to get in the way. Lennox raised his hands to run them over his face but stopped, gazing at the Oathkeeper ring in disdain. A deep wave of remorse fell upon him, and he shook his head in doubt, rubbing at the weariness that clung to his eyes. Perhaps I made the wrong choice, he thought. When he removed his hands, he noticed a youth in full wizard garb sitting just off to the side watching him. The boy had a familiar look about him, though Lennox could not say why. Hmm, you look well enough, just a little exhausted. I would expect nothing less after casting such a superb piece of magic. I can help you, if you like. Lennox nodded his head, and the youth reached out his palm, placing it upon the center of his forehead. It was warm, but not uncomfortably so, and it wasn't long before his body began to lighten. Little by little, the weariness and heavy looms that wore him down began to depart. That's quite a spell he commented. The youth smiled and took his hand away. Oh, well, thank you, but I feel it is rather plain compared to what you just accomplished. I don't think many who saw really understood just how complex it was. Perhaps my sister did. She was always quicker than me at understanding things, though I've always felt she holds herself back for some old reason. The boy was looking past Lennox, his eyes distant and cloudy, 
when suddenly they snapped back towards the night. Still, she was rather preoccupied getting the ship to sea, so I think perhaps she missed it. Lady Maeve, the youth nodded. Then you are Prince Oscar. Again, the youth nodded. Correct. Yet I have not the pleasure of knowing your name, good sir. Lennox. Oh, then you are companions to that strange warden and northern girl. This time it was Lennox who nodded in reply. Quite a fascinating pair the two make. And her wolf as well. I have never seen a northern wolf before. They're quite bigger than their southern cousins. You can imagine my surprise when I saw them accompanying my sister into the lower stadium. Just in time to join the fray, I'd say. Their assistance was invaluable to us. I wasn't sure how much longer I could have maintained that barrier I had set. Oscar! A voice suddenly cried, calling the young prince to attention. He rose quickly to his feet. Yes, sister. Leave him be and come help with the ship. Of course, he replied, then turned quickly towards Lennox. I'm sorry our conversation was cut short. I will follow up as soon as things have settled. I have so many questions for you. I can only... Suddenly, the night turned white as a bolt of light struck the highest tower of Malhorn Peak. From the heavens it came. So great was the light and so loud was the thunder that the very castle shook and the waters of the sea tossed and turned in waves. From north and south, from east and west, a great gust howled in, snapping the main mast like a twig, shrieking and blowing across the surface of the waves as if to bring destruction across the sea. At last the wind died, but the earth still trembled, and in the distance set against the black night sky, the towers of Malhorn Peak tumbled down, falling deep into the surrounding ocean as the walls crumbled like ash, and a cloud of darkness settled upon the waters where once a great castle had stood. Then there was nothing except night, and a single ship stranded upon the tossing sea. We hope you enjoyed The Fleeting Prince by Jacob Mark Schaefer. For other Jake Schaefer campaign productions, please check out the Jake Schaefer Campaign podcast. Other information is also available at www.jacobmarkschaefer.com.